Hello, Internet, and welcome to episode 12 of the Snow Covered Lands Podcast. I am your host, and with me, the one and only, the OG Kush. I don't know, that's a hot thing. I think you just called me weed. Yeah. Anyway, it's Eric Bonvi. How is it going? <laughs> it's good. I'm going to be legalized soon, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, I should actually say the recently married Eric Bonnaby. That's true. Not to me, to his lovely wife. Unfortunately, not to you. Yes, instead I got married to uh, a, a lady to maintain maintain appearances. Mm-hmm. You understand. Yeah. We got a real broke back mountain, secret love, wish I could quit you situation. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> it's the beard. That's what does it. Yeah, that's... I actually, I have a variety of uh, of mock beards for Ariane to wear when we're feeling it. <laughs> While she's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks that it was just the one Santa Claus one we got for like the holiday season. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got married like uh, ex- a week ago. Just over a week ago. Eight days ago. Yeah. You were there. I was. It was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. They had chicken and waffles. I drank heavily. You did drink heavily, did you? It was, uh, I did not notice. I, had, I had never tried a Tom Collins before. Oh, oh yeah, I opened your eyes. Yeah, that was real good. Did you have like the Aladdin song playing in your head? A whole new... No, we've talked... <laughs> well, we have talked about this, but not on the record a bit. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, uh, so yeah, how was... Uh, merry, merry things aside, how, how are you? How have things been going? Good. I'm waiting for some cards to come in on a Star City game order. Yeah, I got one of the uh, I got one of the pre-con commander decks. Yeah, so did both, you? Yeah, both you and I got got one of them. You got the kitty cats. I got the allergy bag deck. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, specifically, I know you wanted B- Balan. Balan. I wanted a couple of the cards. I wanted several cards in that deck. Actually, of all the decks, even though I'm primarily a red player, uh, of all the decks. I wanted that one most of all because it had it had Balin, Balan, mm-hmm. who is a she, also oh, right, not okay. a super feminine name. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of um, the new legendaries in these precons that like you can't really tell if they're male or female, which I think is actually a good thing. Like yeah, Marisil is another one that's you're like I, either way. Like Marisil, which one is that? One of the, the wizards? Yeah, it's yeah. the the cage counter one. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's just it's a cool thing. Like it's good that. Everyone gets representation. Yes. Um, so there's... I wanted Balan. I wanted the Hammer of Nazra mm, or that, Nazra. That card is really good. That's really good. Uh, I wanted the Bloodforge Battle Axe because also it's super awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, also, you should uh, look up the French name sometime if you ever get a chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's like a paragraph long because they, they literally translated it and Bloodforged Battle Axe does not literally translate in French. Uh, and then uh, I wanted that ramp spell, Traverse the oh, Outlands. That card is really good. Like, I guess it can only find basics, so it's not... Like, it's kind of limited in that uh, in that scenario. But, like, in a Crash deck, that would just be ridiculous. Crash, right? it's ridiculous. In my Gitrog deck that likes uh, landfall sure. triggers, it's pretty gross. Like, <laughs> quote-unquote, it only gets you six if you have Gitrog out, which is yeah. like... Six is kind of a lot, right? I'm thinking more like I, it only gets me six if I have Omnixilus out. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, will yeah. ruin someone's day. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. No, I, I really wanted those cards. I really wanted to try them out. And uh, all the cards that I dissected that deck for are absolutely uh, fulfilling my wildest dreams. I love them. But I'm also thinking that I might, like, on the side, make, like, a like much more casual like actual cat tribal deck just to sure. keep together if with like using arabo 
yeah, using a Rabo and make it like a sub, like a sub a hundred dollar budget deck or something like that, and yeah. keep it as that. Sweet. That's the only thing. Like, I mean, obviously the the commander precons this year are tribal, but like, it just sucks that the the eminence the the main commanders from that like they are so limited to their tribe to their tribes. But at least they printed some cards or some legendaries in those sets that aren't necessarily that tribal. It's just like mm-hmm. the eminence ones are just so strict. Uh, I think that it's good. Uh, because I think that if you took any of the abilities that the Eminence ones have and stuck them on Mm non-tribal, they get very busted very quickly. Yeah, let me tell you. (laughs) Edgar Markov is quite the card. Edgar Markov's really good. Uh, Like, when all of your creatures also say summon a 1-1 vampire on Enter the Battlefield, it's really good. Yeah, the the dragon's good. Like, the dragon, one mana difference makes a lot of difference. And actually, yeah, the Ur-Dragon is the one I think you could play. Like, if you were just doing a five-color deck, you could play the Ur-Dragon just at the head of it. Just because, like, he does let you, if he ever is able to attack, you draw a card, put a permanent on your hand in the battlefield. That's good. Yeah. That's fine. And uh, then the, obviously... Arabo with the uh, ability to giant growth any creature is, mm-hmm. would be disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and I actually thought that the wizard wasn't tribal the first time I thought. I thought it just keep any creature anything. Oh, and I was like, that's <laughs> disgusting. I calmed down a lot once I realized it was just wizards. That's still super good. Yeah. But it's a little bit less gross. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's, that's kind of all we got going on. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into the set. We got. We're just doing back-to-back bangers, apparently. Back-to-back bangers is going to be the name of the porn film we inevitably, inevitably the, the have to get reduced fic. to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we don't re- we don't realize this is the episode where we wrote our own slash fiction. Yep. I don't uh, think we have any... I don't think we have that level of fan yet. I don't think we have, like, slash fiction writing true. fans. That's true. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, we're doing... Martin and I did Ravnica last week. Eric mm-hmm. and I are now doing another super popular, really good set, and that is Mirrodin. OG Mirrodin. Yeah, holy moly, this set. This set is bananas! This is actually, this set was the last set that I like really played a lot of in high school. Uh-huh. I'm not saying the set made me stop playing Magic. I just happened to stop playing Magic after yep. this set. So I distinctly remember a lot of these cards, but then it's all the ones after this, especially Kamigawa, which comes after Mirrodin. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of What a coincidence, because the set that I did that for was Ravnica. Oh, well, or the, the block I did that for. I did see the Ravnica block through to the end, and then afterwards I kind of, like, vanished. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, we... This is a long set, so we should stop. Uh, yeah, stop, stop vamping. Stop BSing. We got a lot of a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> yeah. So let's do our our little fun facts of Mirrodin. So this is actually the thirtieth set released for Magic, mm-hmm. which is that's a lot. We did what you and I did the Dark last time, and that was the fourth. So we're jumping ahead uh, quite a bit in time. And even still, this is from what two thousand three. Yeah, I think it's it. So like that's considering it's the thirtieth, and that's still fourteen years ago. Yeah, That's, there's been a lot of there's magic a lot of magic cards. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking the other day about how like the the magic card offices where the editors like come up with like the final card reads and stuff mm-hmm. just be like stacked floor to ceiling with the thesauruses, just all the sure. thesauruses to find every adjective that hasn't been used. How do I describe this sword? How do I describe this soldier in a yeah. way that hasn't been described? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's. I think everybody listening to this knows, but this is a heavily artifact-focused set, which is sort of interesting. Like Magic has done that a couple times now, trying to create these like mad these artifact-focused planes. And I think it's sort of interesting that they've been able to make them feel different. Like Kaladesh feels different than. Yes. Mirrodin. I will say that Mirrodin is the first artifact-focused set that really felt artifact-focused sure. to me. Like, it, it felt like... Uh, Mirrodin is the first set where the artifacts were so much at the forefront where every other card kind of felt like it took a backseat. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, whereas in artifact-focused sets before, I think that they like they they definitely had artifact flavor but they were still focused on the main cards this was the first time where you're like oh this is this is the borg planet this is all machines yeah well let's let's keep that going and say that the pre-release card for this set was in fact a sword of caldra uh-huh. uh, it's the first time that we saw a alternate art pre-release card mm-hmm. and the first time that the pre-release card was not a creature yep. so it just goes to show like how how full on artifact theme they they were with this set yep yeah. And uh, we will talk more about that card eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last kind of fun fact that we have about the set is that it is pretty infamous for being overpowered. It's similar to uh, to the Urza's block in that way. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the cards from the set ended up being banned or restricted in pretty much all term- tournament formats. Worth uh, It's worth mentioning that the it's not just this set but this entire block sure yeah just kept printing overpowered cards that needed to be banned there's no swords in this set they come later in the block yeah and they those swords are still the most powerful of the swords that have ever been printed yeah like skull clamp isn't from this set but it's, but from it's in the block and that... it got banned uh the Arcbound cards mm-hmm. are not in this set but they are in the block and Arcbound ravager got banned like these these aren't just cards that get banned now though like these are cards that continue to get banned across various formats repeatedly and like unbanned yeah there's all sorts of stuff for affinity artifacts or uh there's all sorts of stuff for yeah. and even like if uh is one of the best decks in modern and has been for mm-hmm. forever pretty much yep uh, and it just goes to show the strength all of, of, of this. the strength of this block yep yep uh so that's it for facts let's jump right into the mechanics of the set mm-hmm. so the first one since we've been talking about it so much is going to be affinity so pretty much like affinity for artifacts is the thing that you see the most in the set. There's like affinity for islands and affinity for that sort of stuff as well. I, I don't, don't know if that's in this set. I don't think that's in this set. Okay. I think that comes later. So in this set, it's strictly affinity for artifacts. So what the spell or what the card will say, it'll say affinity for artifacts. The spell costs one generic less to cast for each artifact you control. So we have up assert authority. It costs blue, blue, five generic. It's an instant. It says counter target spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. And it has affinity for artifacts. So it's yep. quite terrible. It costs seven. Yep. But if you have five artifacts, which is super easy to do, it only costs two. Yeah. Uh, affinity is worth noting, not because any of the cards with affinity get played a lot or feel particularly good, but because the artifacts with affinity are a big deal Mm -hmm. on account of the fact that once you get enough artifacts on the battlefield, they're essentially free. Yeah. And it's really powerful. Like, um, soul ring is banned in pretty much everything except for commander. Mm -hmm. And if you have an artifact land, which are in the set, those lands tap basically tap for two man. If you're talking about affinity. Affinity, Yeah. And you can have a lot of those. And so it's one of those things where the artifact lands, got banned in every format Mm -hmm. all on the strength of this one uh one keyword and it's 
interesting because you can tell that they took this later on and kind of applied it to stuff. Because affinity and improvise are a stone's throw from each other. Yeah, or convoke. Or convoke. But the difference is, is that for those ones, you have to tap things. Mm-hmm. And that was the big mistake they made with affinity. Just making it cost less without any like additional inconvenience is too powerful. But it somehow becomes a little bit more balanced if you have to tap all those uh, sure. permanents and don't get to use them. But yeah, no, super, super powerful ability. Yeah, definitely. Next uh, kind of mainstay that uh this set came out with one of the ones where it's weird for people looking back that we ever didn't have this is equipment yeah equipment didn't exist before mirrodin uh the card that we brought up as an example is bone splitter yeah it's kind of like the most basic you can get (laughs) about as basic as you can get i've done some work with a bone splitter uh it's a one mana artifact it has equipped creature gets plus two plus oh and it has equip one and i really don't think i need to explain how equipment works because everybody knows at this point yeah Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we thought we should just bring it up because it is like a new mechanic, quote unquote, of this set, even though it didn't Entire end up Entire becoming... new card type. Yeah. And, uh, and just became evergreen immediately. Yeah. Like uh, every set since then has had equipment as far as I know. Some of the core sets might not have. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically every set sneaks in some equipment somewhere. Yeah. And they're quite powerful. And they're usually pretty powerful. Like, entire new strategies have come up around equipment. Voltron yeah. didn't really exist before. Yeah. Imagine trying to do Voltron with only auras. That would feel real bad. I mean, talk to a neural player and they might disagree with you. True. Your neurals are so good. <laughs> I actually fought against a neural for the first time a couple weeks ago. And it, and it's an interesting experience, uh, right? I mean, I got one-shotted pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty early on. He's, he's an older legend that stands the test of time for sure uh so the next mechanic we have up is imprint this is a it's good because they printed some very good cards with imprint yes uh and the one that we have brought up to talk about is one of those cards it is chrome mox it's dangerous when you hear mox in the name absolutely like i didn't think i don't know how how was this thought would be okay to print another one yeah and and like even if i was wizards even knowing like how powerful this card is, I'd be nervous about printing anything with Mox in the name. Same reason that you don't you like you avoid printing stuff with Lotus in the name, yeah. because it sets an expectation that you might not meet. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so Chrome Mox is a zero mana artifact, and it has imprint. So when Chrome Mox enters the battlefield, you may exile a non artifact, non land card from your hand. So that's sort of what imprint does. Like you exile something, whether it be from your hand or something on the battlefield. Uh, and it gets imprinted underneath the the card with mm-hmm. imprint, uh, and then Chrome Mox. You can tap it and add one mana of n. Uh, tap it, add one mana of, of any of the exiled card's colors to your mana pool. So this card is extremely good. It's as, it is like card disadvantage, right? Because it costs two. It's card disadvantage, but it's such massive tempo advantage. Yeah. It's a free extra land drop. It's free ramp essentially. The only cost is that you have to discard a card. Uh, and this is really, really good in aggressive decks with two mana commanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind when I'm thinking about it is Skullbriar, the Walking Grave. Really likes getting Skullbriar out on turn, turn one. one. yeah. And this is a way to do that. Yeah, that's it's yes, it's very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, an, a treasure printing from uh, is that the masterpiece inventions from uh, Kaladesh? Kaladesh, yep. yeah. Which one? Which art do you like more? I think I like classic. I, I, yeah, the original one looks really good. It's it, just like it's that weird mirrored in feel. Have, yeah, it just has weird art. But the oh, Eter- I, I'm not a fan of the Eternal Masters one. Yeah, the Eternal Ma- Masters one is a little different. Yeah. So what is our last mechanic here? 
Uh, last mechanic is Entwine, which is a mechanic that I'm sure people are familiar with as well. Uh, it's the one where you can pay extra, essentially a kicker cost, and it's printed on cards that have choose one abilities, and you usually get to choose both or choose more than one if you entwine. Uh, the example we have up is Blinding Beam, which is a two and one white instant. Uh, it is, uh, and its choose ones are tap two target creatures, or creatures don't untap during target player's next untap step, and for an extra one mana, you can entwine those. Yeah. So it's we've seen abilities like this so mm-hmm. often. You mentioned Kicker. Kicker. Um, Escalate is the most recent one I can think of. Escalate, and Escalate's definitely a play on entwine. Yeah, because it's just it's the more one, options. More options, yeah. exactly. But oh. yeah, yeah, Wizards definitely likes doing this sort of thing where um, you're able to just... Redo spells. Or no, no, uh, sorry. That, enhance spells. That's, yeah. Pay extra, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking of buyback in my head, and I don't know why. Well, they like uh, that, too. Yes. If, they, if there's, like, three kind of mechanic things that they keep using over and over, it's threshold effects, uh, it's kicker effects, and it's some kind of flashback, buyback, recursion effect. They really like all three of those. New ways to do all three of those. Yeah. And, and, I mean, spells in general within Twine are good. Like, that variety... Um, that you have is key, I think. Yeah, the other thing about the Entwine cards is that they're usually... They did a really good job with most of the Entwine cards of getting out stuff where either one of the effects is good mm-hmm. and they synergize very powerfully. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's one of my favorite cards that we'll talk about, Promise of Power. And that's yes. definitely a really neat mm-hmm. like play on both of the things kind of interacting with each other. Yeah, so that is it for mechanics for the set. It's just the four of them. Uh, so we'll just hop into the two legendary creatures from this set. There's, there's, yeah, there's only, short list this yeah. time. Uh, and then we'll have our little break and come back. But yes, legendary creatures. The first one we have up is a big one. It is Bosch Iron Golem. He's an eight mana legendary artifact creature golem. He's a No, he's an artifact creature golem legend that's how old this set was they didn't oh make sorry it... i was reading the oracle yeah they I'm didn't not a monster they didn't make legendary uh a prefix until kamigawa i believe that's so weird yeah back in the day man holy moly okay <laughs> so bosh is a six seven trample and he has an activated ability of red three generic sacrifice an artifact Bosch Iron Golem deals damage equal to the sacrificed artifacts converted mana cost to target creature or player. He flings, but he instead of uh, power, it's based on the converted mana cost. Yeah, he's he's good. He's expensive. He is expensive. He used to be unplayable as a commander until they changed the color identity rules. He... Why do you say that? Maybe I, I haven't been playing that long, so I, I Oh, know okay. This. Back, back in the day, uh, color identity was the uh yeah you don't know this back in the day for commander uh color identity was not the colors of mana symbols on the card oh, it, it was, was just... only casting cost okay so bosch and memlark were unplayable it's like you could play them but you couldn't activate you couldn't activate abilities. their abilities and it only gave you access to so uh like before wastes were printed and before a couple other things changed i think you can play any basic in any deck now i don't rem- i don't remember but um Back in the day, the Bosch and Memnarch were kind of the go-to true colorless generals hmm. because they gave you access to a basic land color, which the Eldrazi did not. Oh, okay. So, and so people would like be able to actually run 
you know, colored mana sources and uh, and stuff like that. Uh, Bosch is expensive, but he is fun. Yeah. yeah He's yeah. very fun. There's all sorts of crazy shenanigans you can do with him. And, of course, you can always give him a grafted exoskeleton if you feel like making enemies really quickly. Yep. Him and... Um... Spine of Ishsa seem like kind of best friends. Yep. He's, uh, I don't, as a commander, he's okay. I really like running him in Artifact, actually. Yeah, definitely. And it's, he's the kind of thing that people kind of forget about. No one ever expects Bosch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he has gotten better and probably will continue to get better because Wizards does like giving red artifact stuff now. Yes. That's like one of the, the things of the colors, like funky things to do with artifacts. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if you're going for a straight power level, Duretti is just better. Like they do yes. different things, but Duretti is just more powerful. Than but that's Bosch. true of all the red uh, artifact generals because there's slow bad and there's cash mm-hmm. and there's a couple like there, you can fiddle around with some artifact stuff in red, but uh, the absolute best is almost certainly Duretti. And speaking of Duretti, if you're running a Duretti deck, insanely good with Bosch. Sure. Because you can cheat out the eight mana. You don't need to pay. You just mm. re- you just Goblin Welder brought Bosch onto the battlefield. Yep. And, and then you have your mana free to throw something. Yep. And Wizards knew that because they printed Bosch in that deck. Yeah, and Bosch, uh, it's important to note that Bosch is sacrifice an artifact, not sacrifice another artifact. Yeah. So you can use him as an eight mana shot to the dome. Yeah. He can curl up in a ball and just throw himself. And just, and just fastball special himself <laughs> at, uh, at the opponent's face. Yeah, he does that. That's right. Next legend, and the last legend in the set, is uh, Glissa Sunseeker. She's two and two green for a legendary creature elf uh, with first strike. Uh, she's a three two, and she also has another very kind of novel ability. You can tap her to destroy target artifact if its converted mana cost is equal to the amount of mana in your mana pool. Now, it is super important that it has to be exactly the same amount. It can't be equal or less. Yes. It's, I don't think I've ever seen an ability like this on another creature where it's like it's so restrictive. Not a common ability. Yeah, it's, it's kind of Steel Hellkite, kind of... Uh... Except it's trigger on tap. It's kind of uh, another card we'll talk about later. Um, but like pernicious DD kind of thing where it's like it depends upon a sort certain of, I guess, cost. yeah. It's just, I, I like her because of that. Because she is so weird. Unique. Yeah. Um, now what she's doing is not the most unique and not the most interesting. Yeah, the problem with Glissa is that there's so much good green artifact removal. Mm-hmm. That playing, like, Glissa is like fine artifact removal. But unless you're really motivated to play some elves, mm-hmm. uh, or you're really going to capitalize on that first strike, there's not terribly compelling yeah, it's like, reason. It'll to be play cute her. when you play your liquid metal coating, yeah, and you start blowing up non like quote unquote non artifacts. But yeah. it seems like a lot of work for like something kind of generic. Precisely. People definitely know Glissa's other form a lot more than this one. The other form's much better. Yeah. She definitely benefited from. Uh, the the black first strike and mm-hmm. death touch combination. Yeah. I do like the look of her. She has that cool Mirrodin elf. Yeah, the, look. the cool like halfway cyborg look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that and is she's it. the main character of uh, the story of Mirrodin. That's true. So that is it for uh, for the legendaries and mechanics and all. So we're going to take a tiny break and we'll jump feet first into this massive pool of artifact goodness. That sounds so uncomfortable. It's yeah, like it's diving like, into a li- landfill. Like, yeah, it's like, a- we're going to step on some Lego pieces later. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, it, it, we'll go to a short break, and as we get back, tetanus. Oh, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. 
And welcome back. Eric and I are ready to tap some non-colored mana and talk about some artifact cards. Eric's just looking at me. I'm, I'm giving you the judgment. I I really did a bad one <laughs> last episode. <laughs> what was it? Uh, I talked about, like, because we were doing Ravnica, and I'm like, it's time to gentrify the city and open up some coffee shops. Oh, oh God. <laughs> All right. So, Mirrodin, let's do it. The first card we have up is Aether Spellbomb. It is a one-mana artifact. You can pay a blue, sacrifice it, and return target creature to its owner's hand. Or you can pay a generic, sacrifice it, and draw a card. So this is from a cycle of spell bombs. And not Ooh. only that, like there are other cycles of spell bombs in other sets. Like This is a, a pretty common thing. Yeah, this this kind of spawned the spell bombs. It's a big deal because of eggs in modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used uh, they used some of the spell bombs and everything like that. But the it was just worth mentioning that the Aether spell bomb, or the spell bomb cycle exists. And they are varying levels of good to great. I think this is probably the best one. This one's really good. Yeah, those are both things that you would want to do. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you can recur artifacts. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing is that if you can repeatedly... All of them can let you draw a card. But when you can repeatedly just knock your opponent's creatures back to your hand or reuse your own effects... Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a it's a cheap little thing. Like not, mm-hmm. it's not going to make or break a deck. But they're just, it's a good thing to have. It's really good in uh, the the spell bombs and spell bomb like effects and any other kind of egg effects is really good in that future glissa we talked about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, where she's constantly bringing them back, and it's a really good way to get card advantage. Absolutely. So this card I pulled up because it's awful. Uh, it's called Arc Slogger, and it's the kind of unique weirdness that when you have a set where they're designing such strange effects and, uh, like off the wall stuff that most, like a large chunk of the set gets banned, you are also gonna have some off the wall ideas that end up being just trash. Yeah, that's something we didn't really mention at the top of the episode, and I know we say this almost every episode, this set is weird. This set is very weird. Like, for all that it is artifact-focused, yes. There are also just, like, a lot of really off-the-wall kind of effects, like Arc Slogger. Arc Slogger. So, Arc Slogger is three and two red for a beast creature. Uh, He's a four-five, and he has an ability where you can pay one red and exile the top ten cards of your library... And he will deal two damage to target creature or player. What deck plays this? Uh, and is it deck with Lab Maniac? <laughs> that, is that it? You play you combo yeah. this with the Lab Maniac? That's I mean, the answer? You can shotgun your library real fast. <laughs> That's fair. Alright, cool. You found the answer. I had nothing. Oh, I was okay. like, I didn't even know what format played this. This is not a bomb in Legend or in uh Limited. No. This is not good exiling the top 10 cards and it doesn't even lightning bolt it's shock yep you're paying shocks mana cost you're getting shocks damage and you also have to exile a tenth of your library yep it's this card's weird like yes the only thing i can think of is yes lab maniac um but outside of that i have no idea what you do with this card i will say that this card is so weird that i do want to steal its art for a D campaign because yes. that is a creature that would show up and your players would just be like, oh, what the hell is that? It kind of reminds me of a, there's a Dota hero called Disruptor. Okay. He's like, a, he's like an orc guy that rides around like a giant lizard that has like, he's all electrical focused and it kind of looks like this. And it's bright purple? Uh, some of them are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah, it's neat. Anyway, Arc Slogger is a weird card. Figure it out. So our next card up is Oryok Steel Shaper. It's a white and a generic for a 1-1 human soldier, and it reads, Equip costs you pay cost one less, 
And then as long as Oriax Steel Shaper is equipped, each creature you control that's a soldier or a knight gets plus one plus one. Uh-huh. Notable this, because he is a soldier. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, you know, elusive knight tribal gets another card. Yep. Yeah, that that ever elusive uh what was it, Mardu? Mardu Night Tribal? I was really hoping Edgar Markov was going to be is Night he Tribal. A knight? He is, but when I first saw the card, and we would talk about this, yes. <laughs> I really wanted to be knights and not vampires. Yeah, well, uh, you can still do Mardu Night Tribal, I believe sure. in you. Um, so, Ariok Steel Shaper is uh, one of the, He's gone down in value a little bit as better and better, like, synergy with equipment cards have come out, but he's still a decent one. And. He is very good if you have, like, a soldier tribal that runs a lot of equipment. Um, the only problem with him is that if you're running him in, like, a Voltron deck, he needs to be equipped for the boosts to happen. So he's mostly a mana rock at that point. Yeah. But, I mean, like, at least you can put one thing on him and it'll, like, bump up your team a little bit. It's not like you need to... Like, if he said each creature you can control that's a soldier and that gets plus one plus one for each equipment attached to him, that would be a different card. At least with yeah. this one, like you put just something on him and then mm-hmm. he buffs up your team. This is where I'll say I really don't like how humans look in Mirrodin. I find they all have just like this, I don't know, it's almost like an 80s like 80s, I know exactly sci-fi, what you mean, 80s like. Like uh, a Frank Vazetta sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, 80s, 80s X-Men artist yeah. uh, kind of thing when they were all trying to... Like, yeah, or not eight, not even 80s, like maybe early 90s where mm-hmm. they were like kind of aping. Everyone was aping Todd McFarlane. Sure. Everyone, uh, very, very life out is what it is. Okay. Everyone's shirtless. Everyone's overly muscled and they all have these like old school storm from X-Men haircuts mm-hmm. where it's white mohawks all around. Yeah. There's a reason you don't see a lot of humans in mirrored and that's kind of a good thing. The Volshock look better. Actually, I should. Take that back. The, I like the way the Volshock look okay. a lot more than the Oriok. Yeah, maybe there's just yeah, the, the white humans. The white humans are rough. Yeah. You want you want to go with those red humans. Mm-hmm. And like that, we've started a race war. Hey, so our next card up is Barter in Blood. It is black, black, too generic for a sorcery. And it reads, each player sacrifices two creatures. I, I like this card a lot, actually. Uh, Maserak likes this card a lot. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Uh, Kothafed likes this. Lots of cards like this card mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, and this is the first time it was printed. And it was uh, back when Damnation was super expensive. I think Damnation is cheaper now. Did it get reprinted? No. It did. Yeah, it oh, did. yes, it did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Twice, actually. Yeah. So it's Damnation used to be super expensive. So this was kind of the budget option. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Still a good card. Sacrificing two creatures is super handy, especially if you have a lot of tokens or something like that, or if you benefit from sacrificing, like those other generals we talked about. Uh, it's also just like, it's neat. Yeah. Something about this card is satisfying between the name and the, the like various flavors and stuff like that, because we have, we have the art for, uh, Mirrodin up right now. But they also printed it in Avacyn. They printed it in a couple sets and it tends to get kind of, uh, I think the vampire version of it is a little bit cool. Oh, I guess it only has two arts that have yeah, ever been it's made. it's the Soren or the it's weird. It's Soren or the original. weird whatever. Yeah, yeah, go with the Soren one. Yeah. I will say that, like, my one detraction for Barter and Blood is that Innocent Blood is half of the effect. And it, for, costs, and one. it costs one. Innocent Blood has also never been reprinted in that way. 
You know what sure. I mean? Like, it, it, Innocent Blood is kind of like the first time they printed an extra turn effect. Where they printed it, and then afterwards they're like, oh, this needs to be more expensive than it is here. Yeah. Every other, like, edict and uh, target player sacrifices or each player sacrifices kind of thing has been two or more. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, if there were a card that were black-black, everyone sacrificed two creatures, that that's, card is way too good. That's <laughs> obnoxious. Fair enough. Even for three, that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Next card we're going to talk about is Blink Moth Urn. Uh, Blink Moth Urn is a five mana artifact, and it has at the beginning of each player's pre combat main phase, if Blink Moth Urn is untapped, that player adds a colorless to his, his or her mana pool for each artifact he or she controls. Mm-hmm. Kind of a weird group huggy card in the same way Howling Mine is. Very yeah. Howling Well, mine. yes, but if you're putting this in your deck, you're going to get so much more out of it than everyone else is. In theory, yeah. but uh, Howling Mind's kind of the same way. You can tap down Howling Mind to avoid its effect. Yeah, it's sort of funny that this has that same old artifacts don't work yeah, when they're tapped they, they brought it back for Mirrodin. I don't know that we see it again. I don't know if they've ever fiddled with it again, but like they brought it back for a lot of cards we're going to talk about in Mirrodin, and it's like group hug unless you can tap down your artifact. And of course, this being an artifact base set, there's several cards that can tap down your own artifacts. Uh, this is obnoxiously powerful. Yes, it's very, very good. It's very it is good. one of those, like, it costs five mana and then you start ramping, but the amount that you're going to get out of this it's is just so absurd. So absurd. It's yeah. so gross. Yeah. So our next card up is called Brood Star, which is just a great name. Uh, it is, it costs blue, blue, and eight for a star, star beast. It has affinity for artifacts. It has flying, and it reads Brood Star's power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifacts you control. So you get to affinity it out, and then it also plays around with how many you have mm-hmm. with equaling their uh, power and toughness. This card's great. If you were casting this for only the colored mana, that means you have eight artifacts. Yeah, so it's... An, you get an evasive at least eight, eight flyer for, for two. two. Yeah, that seems all right. It seems okay. Yeah. Also, uh, this this is another uh, Mirrodin card where it's worth playing for the art alone. Yeah, holy crap. I want to see this card in foil. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, and like kind of like beetle-looking wings or plates. Yeah, it, it's a weird-looking thing. It's weird, but it's so cool. Yeah, it's rad. I'm very into it. Yeah, they had, they had some really imaginative designs in this. Uh, next card we're going to talk about modern players, I'm sure, would recognize. Or le- even legacy players, I think, Probably, this card. Yeah. Uh, Chalice of the Void. Chalice of the Void is an XX artifact. Uh, and it says, uh, when Chalice of the Void comes into play with X charge counters on it, whenever a player plays a spell with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Chalice of the Void, counter that spell. Mm-hmm. It's a nasty stacks hate bear card. Absolutely. Yep, if you want to counter stuff not in blue, this is this is not a bad way to go. Yeah, it's a good way to cut people off from playing a, a particular value. If you hit someone's general's mana cost, it can be pretty pretty harmful. Otherwise, you probably want to pay this for somewhere between three to five. I think three is a good one. Three is a real good one. Yeah. Uh, three is only going to cost you six. Uh, and it's going to shut down a lot of cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, three is three is a real good sweet spot. Five and four are good sweet spots too. The kind of a lot of people's best creatures, wrath spells, stuff like that, come out at about that number. Yeah. Also, if you're playing any deck that populates, this is not a bad card to go in there too, because then you don't have to pay so much for it. You can only like pay um, to get a charge counter on, then populate it up to what you need. Not populate. Or not populate. Uh, um, proliferate. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
I also super like the art on this. Like, I know it did get a masterpiece as well, but the original art is just, like, really evocative looking. Yeah. The, it's like an action shot. The non the non original art is kind of boring looking, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm not super into it. Yeah. Uh, so, our next card. Oh, jeez. I feel it's like your Eric should talk. Card. I hate this. No. Well, yes, I hate this card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is Confusion in the Ranks. It is red, red, three generic for an enchantment. And it reads, whenever an artifact, creature, or enchantment enters the battlefield, if controller chooses target permanent another player controls that shares a card type with it, exchange those permanents. So on its face, it looks like just kind of one of those chaos red cards that goes in those kind of decks. It gets super gross with Norin, yeah. as I found out from Eric. Nick has some uh, re- has some re- regrets in dealing with confusion in the ranks in his past. Yeah. He's not fond of uh, how things went down yeah, when it- I was playing my Norin deck and confusion in the ranks came out and he had no uh, enchantment removal well, on hand. So yeah, th- I think that's the main part is that I was playing mono black at the time and, yeah. <laughs> and had no way of dealing with it. I think if you did, it wouldn't be that bad. This card is just, it's weird. You can build decks like Norn that make mm-hmm. it super annoying, um, but it is just one of those cards that, while it is going to cause chaos. Yeah, it is. It, it, if you're not playing this in Norn, you're probably playing it in like a very dedicated chaos deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I like this card. It's fun. I like that it exists. It's also one of the chaos effects that I kind of enjoy. Even in general, on account of the fact that it doesn't take forever to resolve. Sure, There's a lot of chaos effects like Scrambleverse and Warp World that take so long to resolve. This is not one of them. Yeah, it's just like a one-time thing. Like, granted, Mm -hmm. you're doing it for everything you're casting, but it's not going to... But once you expect it, it kind of just becomes like an extra two seconds on resolving every spell. Yeah, you start eyeballing the things you really want. Exactly. Uh, Oh, next card is Crystal Shard. Uh, again, part of a cycle, the shard cycle, very powerful cycle. Very. A lot of these other shard cards are super strong, but crystal shards are a really good one too. Mm-hmm. It costs three colorless. Uh, it's an artifact as all of these cycles are, and they'll have an ability that triggers on paying three and tapping, uh, three colorless that is, or paying one of a specific color and tapping. Uh, the crystal shards, the blue one, so you can pay three colorless and tap it, or one blue and tap it to return a creature to its owner's hand unless its controller pays one. Yeah, so erratic, a second erratic portal. Another erratic portal for cheaper. Yeah. Uh, this is super good for the same reason erratic portal is good. One, your opponents can never tap out again. Uh, and two, it's a great way to reuse your own creatures. Yes. Save them from targeting, save them from damage, bounce them out of combat, reuse them to the battlefield triggers, never cast your general for more than its attacks again. It's a really powerful effect. Yeah, this card is, it's, yeah, it's all those things. It's very good. I played in, uh, when I briefly had a, a Brago deck. God, yeah, I remember. And then that I realized that those turns took ten minutes, and I hated myself. Very <laughs> long uh, turns. But yes, if you're playing blue, like this is a very good card just to go into mm-hmm. a deck. Yeah, I really like the black one too. I don't know if you brought it up. I don't think I did, but it's super. Oh good. yeah, the black one is also really good. Skeleton uh, shard. Yeah, you return a artifact creature from your graveyard to your hand yep. for one black mana. That card is great. It went right into my Rakdos artifacts deck. Yep. So our next card up is Culling Scales. It is a three-mana artifact, and it reads, At the beginning of your upkeep, destroy target non-land permanent with the lowest converted mana cost. If two or more permanents are tied, you get to pick one. Yep. Uh, yeah, this card is weird. 
It is. And in the right circumstances, super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You get to destroy, a t- like you get to target destroy something every turn. Now, it's never going to be something higher than three because mm-hmm. this does cost three. So at some point it will destroy itself. Yes. Um, but yeah, you get to just blow something up every turn for so cheap. So do you remember when we were talking about cards that are good with Glissa? Mm-hmm. This is a card that's really good with Glissa that I don't think the Glissa players know about. <laughs> the like the black, the blue, new, yeah, or black the, green, black green Glissa. Huh. Because you can at what it means is that at the beginning of your upkeep, you're going to get a Glissa trigger, no matter what, no matter what, unless you destroy it itself. And then if you ever need to get it back, it's pretty easy to do in that deck. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's super powerful in that deck. Uh, outside of that, like it's okay. It's good in kind of a haterade deck where you're constantly trying to uh stack on as many of these kind of enchantments and artifacts that just kind of screw over the way people want to play the game yeah i'm actually kind of surprised i didn't put this in my code of deck that seems like it would be all right it's because you didn't know it existed that's accurate yeah (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of that as we're going through this set it's true for all that i did play this set a lot there were a lot of cards i was bad at playing back then so there are a lot of these cards that are really good that i just didn't really know about Mm -hmm. Next card we're going to talk about is another three-mana hate artifact. It's called Damping Matrix. This is one that people probably know of a little bit more. (laughs) It costs three, and it has activated abilities of all artifacts. uh, or Activated abilities of artifacts and creatures can't be played unless they are mana abilities. That's harsh. So this was printed kind of to shut down equipment. Uh, in the equipment set, it was like immediate answer to equipment. You can't equip anything. Sure. Um, in addition to all the other artifact abilities, it shuts down. Nowadays, it's mean. Yeah, it's real harsh. It's um, it's what Lavinia, but an artifact sort of. Uh, Lavinia does shut down mana abilities as well. Lavinia arrests, right? Yeah. For a turn. No, forever. No, what does she do? Maybe she just uh, activated abilities of creatures can't be activated. Your opponent's control. Linvala. Linvala. Sorry. You're Lavinia. Yes, no, Lavinia, Lavinia yes, arrests. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. We got that sorted. Yes. Linvala. This is what Linvala does. That's mm-hmm. right. And that's why Linvala is so scary. This one also affects artifacts. Yeah, which is just super harsh. Yeah. And again, if you're playing in a deck that is playing a lot of these kind of... If you're playing like Thalia or Gaddock Teague hate bears, oof. I, I really like the flavor text on this card. The priest tried cursing it. The mages tried dispelling it. In the end, they all obeyed it. Which, it's just like this really evocative, like, so much of this said, I guess because it is artifacts, seems like really sci-fi-y. So I just imagine yes. this giant floating, like, D12, it kind of looks like that. Yeah. All these, like, people are just, like, worshipping. I yeah. think that's, it. it's conjures up some pretty interesting imagery it's awesome uh it, it does that like like i was saying with numenera it does it, it does a very good cr- job of crossing like magic a magic fantasy with uh, a healthy dose of sci-fi original dungeons and dragons did that a lot in original dungeons and dragons it wasn't unusual for you the, like the dungeon you were exploring to be like a crashed spaceship from another world oh, and the mind flares were originally aliens yeah that makes sense yeah so uh it's it's a very Whenever people can mix that kind of peanut butter and jelly in a in a bad when they mix it in a bad way, you can tell immediately. Mm-hmm. But when they mix it in a good way, it's awesome. Yeah. Space wizards. Oh, geez. From the moon. <laughs> I'm playing too much Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so our next card up is Disciple of the Vault. It is a one black mana for a 1-1 one, one human cleric. And it reads, whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may have target opponent lose one life. So there, there are very specific decks that this card goes into. I think that Glissa deck you were talking about is one. Uh, the, uh, the deck that loves this is Sharoom. Oh, sure, sure, sure. This is part of the... Uh, but back before Blood Artist existed, mm-hmm. uh, this was the piece for the Sharoom infinite combo. In many ways, it still gets used for that. It still gets used in a lot of artifact decks for that reason. Yep, it was uh, it, was, it was in my uh, Rakdos artifact deck because that is exactly what that deck is, wants to do is absolutely. sacrifice artifact. And it's another weird card where the it has only gotten better with time because they have taken to printing gold tokens. Um, Clue tokens mm-hmm. and now treasure tokens all coming out that are all artifact tokens that sacrifice at will. So you can put this in, like, you definitely play Disciple of the Vault in, like, a uh, King Makar, the Gold Curse. Oh, deck. absolutely. Yeah. Um, or anything that's going to be, like, accumulating a lot of those tokens so you could get rid of them all at once. This is a way to, like, straight up kill people. Costs one mana. Yeah. That's the other that's big the thing. thing. Yeah. That's that's a thing a lot of people don't consider. Is that if this costs three, you'd be like, yeah, I can see how some specific decks would play it. It's a one mana black creature. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's very good. This is a card that is also good, but in a less obvious way. This is Dross Harvester. He's a three mana four four horror. He has protection from white. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, you lose four life. But whenever a creature dies, you gain two life. Hmm. This is another card that was a lot better before Blood Artist came out. Sure. But it's still pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's a good way if you are in a deck that likes to wipe out creatures a lot or kills lots of things, you can gain a ridiculous amount of life. Uh, again, another card that I'm surprised you didn't have in your Kothafed deck just because you didn't know about it at the time. I didn't really, yeah. I, I mean, I did know about it. I just didn't feel like I needed it. Yeah. It's, it's a strange card. Like, we are playing Commander, so even if you do lose four life a turn, that's not the end of the world. And this thing does benefit the... Um, the fact that it's whenever any creature dies, so if you're yes. playing a multiplayer game, you don't have to be doing the work. No, you in just a, get the benefit. It from is it. definitely a, one of those cards that gets exponentially better the more players are at the table. Yeah, I wonder if this goes into a Mathis Fiend Seeker deck with all the bounty tokens. Because it's whenever a creature dies, each of that creature's opponents gains two life and draws a card, so you're gaining four life and drawing a card. Maybe it might be okay. I think in Mardu, you probably have better cards. It's probably. a problem. At that point, like, this is a card that if it gets played, I think it gets played in mono black. Yeah, fair enough. It's also the art is super weird. The The draws look very strange. Super weird. It's got like a Kopesh. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, like, yeah, okay. We, we just have Kopeshes on, uh, on Mirrodin now because of all those Egyptians who just stopped by that one time. <laughs> yeah, they planeswalked from Amonkhet and then mm-hmm. showed up. Yeah. Uh, so this is a very good card we have up next. It is called Duplicant. It's a six mana artifact creature shapeshifter. It is a two four and it has imprint. It reads, when Duplicant enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-token creature. And as long as a card exiled with Duplicant is a creature card, Duplicant has the power, toughness, and creature types of the last creature card exiled with Duplicant. It's still a shapeshifter. So that last block of text is not the most relevant. Mainly it's a creature that exiles something when it enters the battlefield. Yeah, it's colorless exiling removal attached to a body, and that's a big deal. Less of a big deal. Again, power creep is a thing. 
there are now really good removal cards that are already attached to creatures and there's good removal in basically every color but before the proliferation of blue removal spells Mm -hmm. and green fight mechanics and all that there was um this card was gold everyone needed to run one yeah now that the, those are a thing, it's less commonly seen, but it's still a very, very good card. Uh, it, it would still see play in decks um, that are abusing artifacts, like red artifact decks. I think that goes into just because it is, it is an artifact creature that can do 100%. all these great things, and it's still removal on a creature. Like it, that, it's hard to underestimate that. I think that multicolored decks could really benefit from it. Like decks sure. that are running like now that we have four and a lot more four and five color decks, the fact that it's removal, you will always have the colors to cast. That's pretty good. Absolutely. Also, if you are going to play it, play the alternate art. Yes, the original art is very bad, and the new art is very good. And I have the Commander's Arsenal one, which is the new art in a very sexy foil. I'm going to see if they... Yeah, they can't really show the foiling on here, but it looks super good. Nice. Uh, Next card we're going to talk about is Imperial Plate, spelt oddly, E-M-P-Y-R-I-A-L. And it costs two, and it's an equipment... And it has, uh, it, it equips for two as well. And it has equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each card in your hand. Yeah, this guy's good. It's I mean, cards, in the right decks. Yeah. It, I uh, once upon a time ran an Isamaru deck. Sure. Uh, that I famously made to be as, like, as fast as it possibly could. I called it Speed Puppy. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was literally like turn one Isamaru, turn two, something to boost its power or some kind of ramp, turn three something to boost its power turn four someone's probably dead hopefully at that point (laughs) imperial plate did work in that deck not because i was able to draw a lot of cards but because i would get it out on turn two and equip it on turn three before i did anything else so i was literally getting value out of it because i was playing it before i had played much of anything else yeah before you could like dump your hand it would be giving him like plus five or something like that which is like just fine uh, it, it usually gave him more because all I was playing was lands and then equip. So it usually gave like plus six, plus seven. Hey, that's great. Uh, yeah. and when he, yeah, so you're eight power puppy coming at you immediately. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely decks you can build where it would give quite a bit more. Than, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Than six or seven. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's good. good it's cheap. The equipment or the equip cost is cheap. It's just, it's all run good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, boy. Oh, Talk yes. Talk about good cards. So our next card is Extra Planar Lens. It is a three-mana artifact. It has imprint. So when Extra Planar Lens enters the battlefield, you may exile a target land you control. And whenever a land with the same name as the exiled card is tapped for mana, its controller adds one mana to his or her mana pool of any type that land produced. So this does affect everyone. However, the trick that everyone does with this card is they play snow-covered lands. Yes. So that only you are really getting the benefit from it, which is sort of cheeky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's a three-mana mana doubler. You do have to get rid of one of your lands, but still. The guy who uh, <laughs> the guy who designed Imprint was not hecking about. <laughs> That's right. He, uh, he was like, I'm going to make this this keyword ability and i'm going to put it on such good cards that they're going to have to love me mm-hmm. yeah imprint cards are so powerful yeah it's kind of gross yeah but this is this is insane this is uh, short of like cabal coffers the cheapest mana doubler you can get pretty much yeah like it's we've mana seen, flare yeah we've seen cage sun and that sort of thing that cost like double what extra planet lens yeah does. there's that uh glove 
the power glove uh, that is... Oh, Gauntlet of Power? Yeah, Gauntlet, Gauntlet of Might? No, Gauntlet, they both exist. You're thinking of Gauntlet of Power is the five-color one. Gauntlet of Might also exists. It costs one less. It's only for red, and it's a very old card. And it's super expensive, yes. So it's one of those cards like Imperial Recruiter that's super expensive unless you play online, and then it's pennies. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, next card we're going to talk about is an uncommon. You won't believe me when I finish the end of this uh, read, but it is an uncommon. It's two and one blue for Fabricate. A blue sorcery that lets you search your library for an artifact card, reveal it, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. It's just a tutor. Yeah, that's great. Yes, I know it's great. (laughs) I mean, it isn't as good as the good black tutors, but it is still very powerful. It's super powerful, especially in uh, a color that doesn't generally get a lot of tutors so yeah it's a really really strong effect and uh it's i mean it's just good that's all yeah like if you're playing an artifact deck like you're you know you're gonna know if that is a card you want to play 100 percent. you know like as i read that you know whether that goes in your deck or not yeah yeah, absolutely you can put in your misform ultimus deck to get all your voltron pieces sure let's go yeah let's do it uh so my next card up is farsight mask it has some very weird art it is a five mana artifact, and it reads: Whenever a source and opponent controls deals damage to you, if Farsight Mask is untapped, you may draw a card. I see no evil because I'm wearing this terrible mask. <laughs> oh, this is the anti-perforos card, right? No, you're going to be dead before you can use them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's super, super good, and it's another one of those weird artifacts that cares whether it's tapped or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, whenever a source and opponent controls deals damage to you, draw a card is a Pretty powerful freaking fact. Yeah, that's not bad. Another card that people are going to be surprised when I say it's uncommon. Mm-hmm. This set was weird, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it also didn't take into account our strange format. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't take into account a lot of things. I think this is pretty powerful regardless of format. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if like if you're playing colors that have trouble drawing cards, like white or red, I think this card uh, is very, very good. This card is mean. This card is mean. It's Fate Spinner. Uh, one and two blue for a one, two human wizard. Uh, and it has at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player chooses draw step, main phase, or combat phase. That player skips each instance of the chosen step or phase this turn. If you want to attack, you have to not play things or not draw. If you want to draw, you have to not play things or not attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a mean card. Yeah, people are going to hate you for playing this card. This is a powerful hate bear card, too. I ran this in uh, my Joyra deck when I still... Yeah. In the Dark Ages when I played blue. Yep. To slow down people while I just accumulated some mana to start suspending things. Yeah, it's not cool to be on the receiving end of this. Yep. I I have this in my Nicobolas Choices deck. Yes, I imagine you do. Uh, Yeah, the table immediately tried to kill it or me yeah and i had to yeah. be like no i promise i'll sacrifice it. i don't want this <laughs> no i don't know what i've done <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah at yeah. least while they were attacking me they weren't playing spells or drawing cards they uh this is a card that makes enemies yeah so fiery gambit is our next card it is a red too generic for a sorcery and it has a big block of text it does it reads flip a coin until you lose a flip or choose to stop flipping if you lose a flip, Fiery Gambit has no effect. If you win one or more flips, Fiery Gambit deals three damage to target creature. If you win two or more flips, Fiery Gambit deals six damage to each opponent. 
If you win three or more flips, draw nine cards and untap all lands you control. This card is great. <laughs> this is exactly my kind of shenanigans. This is the card that you play and you always go for three flips. I mean, yeah, like what? The probability on it is terrible. People have done the math. It's awful. It'll almost never happen. But the one time that you get three flips on this card, you're going to feel so good. Yeah, and because, the table's going to hate it. Because <laughs> it does do all of the effects. All of the effects. Yeah. Three damage to target creature, six damage to each opponent, draw nine cards, mm -hmm. and untap all lands you control. What do you think the percentage chance of winning this is with a uh, crux thumb? Better. <laughs> yeah, but still not good. I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that you play that in the deck where if you coin flip enough, yes. then you win the game, yes, right? Yes, of course. So it's a good way, if nothing else, to accumulate a ridiculous number of coin flips. Sure. Because you could just keep going forever. Yeah, you could reverberate this card. Mm -hmm. You could <laughs> oh my Pyromancer's Goggles this card. Oh, that's such a weird way to increase the odds that I hadn't thought about, is you just keep doubling up on this card. Yep. You just keep pulling the handle on the slot machine, hoping it comes up all sevens. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's so good. It's incredible. Uh, next card we're going to talk about is Fire Shrieker. Uh, it's three mana for an equipment. With an equip cost of two, and it has very simple text, equipped creature has double strike. Yeah. Very good effect. Yep. I, I talked about last episode how much I like double strike, and I continue to like it. Yeah. Turns out double strike is one of the more powerful, aggressive things you can do. Also ran this in my Isamaru mm -hmm. uh, Voltron deck, as you would. I think any Voltron deck you really want to run this in, except for like... Rafik, who already gives himself double strike. I don't usually run Fire Shrieker. Only because I have the best equipment. Oh. Like, I have such top-level equipment that this is a card that usually doesn't make it by about just the tiniest margin. Yeah, I like this uh, a lot. It's super good. Um, I played this in Zergo and liked it a lot. Because, like, Zergo doesn't need equipment. He's a seven-power yeah. commander, so he's killing people in three shots. All you need is basically, like, remove one control to get stuff out of the way. Yeah. Fire Shrieker is one, or Double Strike in general is one of those effects that he does really like because he turns into a, a two-shot. Two instead yeah. of a, yeah, you want a minimum boost of four power with him to turn him into a two-hit instead of a three-hit. And Fire Shrieker is a expedient way to do that that's good with a lot of other cards yeah absolutely yeah it's, and it's like it kind of just shows that mirrored in because it was the first time we saw equipment a lot of them are just kind of generic like this which is not a bad thing not like, a bad thing at all but yeah. they uh but they're kind of generically good we're going to come across some more equipment later that like again some of the best equipment that has ever been printed period sure. so this is gate <laughs> to the aether uh, this is a six mana artifact, and it reads, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player reveals the top card of his or her library. If it's an artifact, creature, enchantment, or land, that player may put it onto the battlefield. This is a very strange group hug kind of card. There's a lot of group hug, group hate, group chaos cards in this set. Mm -hmm. This is a weird set. Yeah. It's <laughs> I like, feel like we can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> it's like they kind of made it for multiplayer, not really but like a lot of the cards just do really well in multiplayer yeah. settings and this is again you nailed it it's a very very weird group hug deck yeah you do have to be or careful card with card uh this card and there are a lot of cards not a lot there are some cards like this that do very similar things where everyone is able to dump permanence onto the battlefield i mean like 
If you're not group hugging, you have to be very careful with these cards. If you're not group hugging, don't play this card. Yeah. This card is too expensive for what it does. You're not going to get the most benefit out of it. Everyone gets to use it before you. If you're not grouping, don't play that card. Yeah. You play this card. Mm-hmm. This card is Gilded Lotus. Remember I was saying something about buzzwords that you don't use in Magic unless you're really confident that your card's going to be good? This one has Lotus in the title. Yep. And, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's a five mana artifact that just reads tap, add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. Great flavor text. Over such beauty, wars are fought. With such power, wars are won. So good. And the art is so good. Everything about this card is a winner. Yeah. There's very few loser Lotus cards that have been printed. <laughs> Lotus Veil comes to mind. Lotus Guardian's bad. Uh, Lotus Guardian's not great. Uh, but Lotus Cobra, Gilded Lotus, Black Lotus, of course. Even like Lotus Petal. Lotus Petal's great. Yeah. Uh, even the like Masterpiece, or not Masterpiece, the uh, From the Vault 20 version is so pretty too. Yeah. I mean like this. So, okay. So this is a big mana rock, but it does give you color and it's very... Very, very good. If you're not playing green, mm-hmm. uh, there's not really a reason not to play this card. <laughs> it's it's a really good ramp card in that it gets you... A, a thing that a lot of people don't think about when they're playing ramp in their deck that they should think about is what is it propelling you towards? What mana? What kind of mana jump are you looking mm-hmm. at? Uh, so if you have a general who costs five, Cultivate in Kodama's Reach are amazing cards. Sure. If you have a general who costs three, you probably shouldn't be playing Cultivate in Kodama's Reach unless you've got a really good reason. Yeah. Gilda's Lotus jumped you from five to, on your next turn, nine mana, because you're going to get another land drop, and then you're going to be tapping for three extra on top of that. That is on turn six, casting Eldrazi. Yeah, that seems alright. That seems okay. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. It's one of the most effective uh ramp in terms of like tempo jumps that you can play. Why do I get all like the giant block of text cards? Because I love you. So this is Goblin Charbelcher. It's a four mana artifact, and it reads Pay three generic tap it, reveal cards from the top of your library until you, you until you reveal a land card. Goblin Charbelcher deals damage equal to the number of non-land cards revealed this way to target creature or player. If the revealed land card was a mountain, Goblin Charbelcher deals double that damage instead. Put the revealed cards on the bottom of your library in any order. This is a very weird card. It was a, a modern deck for a hot minute. Yeah. Uh, might still be. I don't know. It's, I don't uh, know there's a modern. there's like a really cheap legacy or vintage. I don't remember because I always get them mixed up in my head. Deck that revolves around this card. Yeah, it's and it plays almost no lands, yeah. and you just get out the Charbelcher and Belch. Mm-hmm. This card is really good in EDH. Like really, really good. The only downside is that you have to pick your target before you know how much damage you're dealing. Sure. And it's a little mana intensive. But if you're playing mono red in EDH, you should seriously consider whether this card would be a worthy addition. It's really good at hit, like dealing direct damage to players. It's pretty good at mopping up like creatures. You, although you probably don't want to be targeting anything too big. It's a, uh, it, it is super, super good. What it is really good at is wiping the floor with planeswalkers. Oh, sure. Oh, it's so good at smoking planeswalkers mm-hmm. out. And, uh, yeah, no, this card is awesome. If you're playing mono red, 
I'm not saying that you're going to keep it in your deck, but it's worth it to give this card a shot. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is random, though, so it's not going to be reliable, but it's neat. It's not reliable, but it's always going to do some damage. For sure. Next card we have is Grab the Reins, which is another uh, Entwine card. And this one's interesting. I think this might be the first Entwine card we're actually talking about in our yeah. uh, set review proper. It's an instant. It costs three and one red. And it has the normal entwine of choose one. Until end of turn, you gain control of target creature and it gains haste. And sacrifice creature, grab the reins, deals damage equal to that creature's power to target creature or player. And the entwine cost is three. So entwining this is very expensive. But if you do it in the late game, what you're doing is you're, it's a massive value two for one. Yeah. You're taking someone's creature and throwing it at another creature or planeswalker or player's face yeah like if you're able to take someone's voltron commander you could just kill someone yeah. maybe it and it also has the added benefit of being if you don't make it to that high mana cost it is just a fling or an act of reason which are both decent cards to yeah. have in edh anyway yeah at instant speed like at that's, instant yeah. speed yeah, yeah that's, that's fine pretty good i have won games with this card before so i can't hmm. i can't hate it that much Oh man, this card, I thought this card was so broken back in the day. It is broken! Yeah, this is Isochron Scepter. Yeah. It's a two mana artifact, and it has imprint. So when Isochron Scepter enters the battlefield, you may exile an instant card with converted mana cost two or less from your hand, and you can pay two, tap it, and you may copy the exiled card. If you do, you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So, like, just a counterspell. Just put counterspell under this. Swords to Plowshares. Yeah. Path to Exile. Vampiric Tutor. Yeah, These are all broken we things. Can, in any of the Enlightened Tutor, Worldly Tutor. Sure. Uh, like, we shouldn't even talk about the card. Let's just list off <laughs> some of the instants. You can grab any number of uh, boomerang effects. It's just going to make me... Yeah, like reverberate on this card. Holy crap. Yeah. This card is kind of broken. It's fundamentally broken. Whenever I see someone play this card... They become public enemy number one until that card is dead. Yes, or they are. It's like it's absolutely. It's one of those things where like, or even like brainstorm. Like even just brainstorm. A, even if it's just draw a card. Yep, just two mana draw a card. This yeah. seems alright. Like hold this card is just super. And it's good. never gonna be two mana just draw a card. No, of course not. But it uh, could be. It could go for the throat. Uh oh my god! Abrupt decay is an instant. Yep, that costs two. Yep. Yeah. It's any charm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Well, there's like the three mana ones, but yes, any of the ones that you can. Like the Boros charm, is it charm? All of those are super powerful. This is... Oh, Boros, char oh, Boros charm is really good because it make, can make your permanence indestructible. Or double strike, I think. Yeah. That's gross. And then, of course, you're running like untap artifact shenanigans. Like, yes, you can very easily... It is... It is... Break it, that card. That, playing that card against me is a declaration of war. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's no good. <laughs> much, much like playing Consecrated Sphinx. Yes, which is another distant Mirrodin card. Mm -hmm. Mirrodin is such a broken... <laughs> <laughs> Screw that plane! Uh, next card I mean, is... Wizards kind of did, right? <laughs> they did. They really, really did. Next card is Jinxed Choker. Cost three. Uh, it's an artifact. At the beginning of your end step, target opponent gains control of Jinxed Choker and puts a charge counter on it. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, Jinxed Choker deals damage to you equal to the number of charge counters on it. And you can pay three to put a charge counter on it or remove a char charge counter from it. Mm -hmm. 
This is a weird card. I would. I'm curious to see what this card would do to a playgroup. Uh this is. If you want to run this card, what you need to do is you need to play like. I would love to play the political Corona the False God deck because Corona gets passed around the table too. Sure. And there's lots of cards like this. Mm-hmm. There's like the uh, an assault suit or like a batter yep. suit that yep, assault suit. So what do you think? Yeah. You equip it to a creature and it turns it into a Corona, except mm-hmm. it can't attack you. Uh, there's the Crown of Doom. I love Crown of Doom. Crown of Doom and Jinx Choker are great together. Uh, there's a red witch hunt. Yep. Yeah, there's all sorts of like, I, I would love to play the, I'm giving everyone my permanence and you wish I hadn't deck. Also would be really good if you want to make that deck and you don't want to go five color. It would be ridiculous to make that deck with Zedrum. Yeah, sure. A lot of people play that kind of deck using like uh, Gahiji and stuff like that. Like basically, you're wanting everyone to like fight amongst themselves, but not you. Like you mm-hmm. want to incentivize them to attack other people. Because yeah. that's the one thing. If you're playing this deck with Corona, yeah, is that like as soon as they kill you, all this damage and weird stuff stops happening. So they're kind of incentivized to kill you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I. That's why I think Zedru's the way to go because you can draw cards and gain life. Yeah. Can you imagine if Jinx Choker just says, and also if an opponent controls it at the beginning of your turn, you draw a card and you gain life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want Jinx Choker and Mana Barbs? Yep. It's like, oh, you want to remove stuff and pass it around? Okay. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Uh, We're monsters, Nick. That's so weird. Hey, speak of the devil. Yeah, we've we've mentioned this card quite a few times on this podcast. Yeah, Crark's Thumb. It's a two mana legendary artifact. Crark's Thumb is legendary. It is. There's no thumb like it in existence. I mean, in theory, Crark has another one, but it can't exist at the same time. Uh Uh, And so, if you would flip a coin, instead you flip two coins and ignore one. Yep. If you're building that deck. And just that deck, yeah. <laughs> this card goes in, but otherwise it's not particularly good. But you put it in that deck. Yeah. And, and I love cards that like, I love cards that have a clear purpose. Mm-hmm. Like when it's just like generic good stuff artifacts, it's a little too general for me. But if you have a card like Crark's Thumb, where it is, this goes in one deck. There is one deck that uses this card. It's the only deck that uses this card. And if you want to play this card, that's fine, but you have to play this deck. I like cards like that. I like misfits that have one home. Yeah. And not only does this card go in that deck, it is the best card in that deck. In that deck, easily, (laughs) by a country mile. It's like this and then the one that you win the game when you flip. Those are the two cards. I also love the idea that it's lucky because, like, Crark was just really good at flipping coins, and it's the thumb he was flipping coins with. So, like, the idea that you have to use his lucky thumb to flip the coins (laughs) when you're doing your coin flip. Like, you're, like, holding it like a rabbit's foot, and you put the coin on the end and, like, flick your wrist. Yeah, I'm very into it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So our next card up is a Leonin Abunas? Abunas. Abunas. <laughs> <laughs> it's white, three generic for a 2-5 cat cleric, and it reads, artifacts you control have hexproof. That is a, those are some <laughs> words on a card. <laughs> This card might be a little bit powerful in those yeah, colors. A little bit. Uh, when I was playing again during uh, Mirrodin, I had this card. And, like, we we didn't play, like, standard or any form. We just played with the cards we had. Mm-hmm. So I had an old card called Ashnod's Transmogrification or something like that. Where it's an old artifact where you can tap it, sacrifice it, put a 1-1 counter on a creature, and it becomes an artifact. 
in addition to its other titles. Oh, dear sweet God, so, no! So I made this thing an artifact, and I was like, oh, I'm unbeatable. That was my combo. <laughs> the value yeah. is raining from the sky. Yeah, this card is awesome. Yeah. Clearly designed to protect your equipment in white. And I feel like this card would have been more balanced? Probably, it, probably balanced if it said equipment you control has hexproof. And that card would still be very good. And that card would still be very good, but it doesn't say that. No. It protects your mana rocks. It protects your artifact creatures. It protects everything. If you are playing a Voltron deck that includes white and you are not playing Leonin Abunus, you are making a mistake. Yes. Like, Agreed. consider, strongly consider putting this in. Him and Sram, he's like Sram's right hand man. <laughs> yeah. Also, he's a 2 5. Like. He's a 2 5. He's got yeah. He has so much booty. His booty will not quit. His booty will not quit. He will hold off enemies with that booty all day. Mm-hmm. Um, next card we have is Liar's Pendulum. Nick. Yes. This set is weird. Uh-huh. Uh, Liar's Pendulum is a one mana artifact. You can pay to and tap it and then name a card. Target opponent guesses whether a card whether that name with that name is in your hand. What? <laughs> you may reveal your hand. If you do, and your opponent guessed wrong, you draw a card. This is like this is a card out of an unset or like out of conspiracy. It, it is it is absolutely an unset card. This is a card that was meant to be printed in unset and they're like, yeah, whatever, dump it in Mirrodin. Also, I need to put this in Nickel Bolas. What am I doing? I know. And it's so cheap. Huh. It is so inexpensive. So, man. so You are good at bluffing, too. So you may reveal your hand. So yes. it's basically if they name a card in their right, you can be like, no, it's fine. Yeah. The only thing is that, like, to draw the card, you need to reveal your hand. Yes. Which then shows all the cards in your hand. Yes, but you have now drawn a card, mm-hmm. and on your next turn, when this untaps, you will have another card. So you're two more cards in your bluff yeah. ratio, I guess. And there's some sneaky thing. You can, like, keep naming basic lands. That's true. And people are going to be like, well, statistically, at some point, he's going to have a basic land in his hand, probably. <laughs> it, like, it's it, it's all sorts of weird mind games. And this is another thing where people... uh I saw an article talking about FNMs uh, the other day, or a Reddit post talking about FNMs and how people like underestimate the mental game of mm-hmm. FNMs. And it was a guy talking about how an opponent went on tilt uh, because he, in like the first game of their match, he was holding cards and being, and he was playing a blue deck, and he was like, "I'll allow it, I'll allow it, I'll allow it." When the guy was playing stuff, and then he ended up beating him because his opponent staggered and tried to protect his stuff from the counter spell that the guy that didn't, didn't have exist. in his sure. hand. Yeah. And the guy threw a fit. Yeah. Uh, and the guy who threw a fit is wrong. The mental game is absolutely part of playing magic. Absolutely. Play, like you have, especially multiplayer, bluffing, diplomacy, politics, all that stuff, whether you like it or not, it's part of the game. And going on tilt and like doing things that's going to mess with your opponent's head and their ability to play is absolutely a valid way to play, as long as you aren't being too much of a jerk about it. Sure. This is a really good way to accidentally put someone on tilt. Because mm-hmm. people who keep guessing wrong are going to get super frustrated. Absolutely, yeah. Um, this kind of goes back to, I used to play a lot of Soul Calibur back yeah. in the day. Uh, and there was one of our friends who was like a better player than me, but would get really frustrated and like get in his own head if like he started losing or stuff started going wrong. Yes. So it's just a matter of, and you can relate this back to magic too. You, sometimes you don't need to beat the deck. You just need to beat the player. Oh, 100%. The all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the, one of the big advantages I had 
in like when I was playing a lot more competitive EDH in Ottawa was that this was back when like the first commander decks were coming out and people were a lot less tempo focused and I just everyone was focused on value like it was all two for ones it was all value it was all control and I just like this is when I made Isamaru and I shifted my lens entirely to tempo and it's all I cared about no value nothing all I want is to move as quickly as possible and it shocked people and it completely threw out their ability to play properly and uh it's like a strategy that still works to this day when I play my Perforos deck right like my Perforos deck is just so focused on tempo people can't keep up because they don't build their decks to deal with that. Mm-hmm, and it sure. totally messes with people's heads. Oh, man. So our next card, this is... I can't believe that this is from the set as well. So this is Lightning Greaves. I think pretty much everyone playing Commander knows this card. Oh, gee! It is a two-mana equipment. It reads, Equip Creature has Haste and Shroud. But most importantly, it equips for zero. The the one, the only one of... Again, I, uh, I previewed that we would be talking about one of the best uh, equipments ever printed. This, I don't know if it's the best equipment ever printed, but it gets to enter that grand arena. Absolutely. It gets to participate in that fight. Yeah. It's up there with stuff like Skull Clamp. It's... The swords. Yeah. It's yeah. better than most of the swords. It, it's anyway, it's, it's, it's so, so good. good. The fact that it equips for zero shows that like wizards didn't quite know what they were they doing. They did not know what they were doing. Yeah. They were like, there's some designer back there just like being like... It, one. It could have made it cost one, and it would have made such a difference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they didn't. They made Lightning Greaves, uh, and the idea, I think, behind making it an equip cost zero was to make it go as fast as possible. You wanted this to be, like, it's it's speedy quick, mm-hmm. but, like, everything about this card rocks. Its power, its power level is insane. Its mana cost is super low, crazy low mana investment. It gives haste to every single color. Haste and Shroud is really good, but Haste is something that a lot of colors don't have access to. And this is the only one of the only ways to give it to mm-hmm. uh, all, all the colors. The art is good. The flavor text is great when you get to uh, different uh, versions of the card that don't have the full-on uh, equip spiel on it. Yeah, talking about like lightning struck. Yeah. After lightning struck the cliffs, the ore became iron, the iron became steel, and the steel became greaves, and the lightning never left. Yeah. That's awesome. And it on top of that, like, almost all the versions have this art, because this art is so good. But there is a really badass... The masterpiece um, looks really good. There's the masterpiece one, but there's an FNM lightning greave. Okay, so the masterpiece... I don't like the masterpiece one that much, actually. Uh, that's I, I know the one that you're me. talking about. Yeah, the the F and M one. Where it's like uh, someone running. It's someone mid sprint. Yeah. That looks super good. So I will say there is a conversation to be had whether Lightning Greaves or Swiftfoot Boots are better. Absolutely. So Swiftfoot Boots does almost the same thing. It costs two. The equipped creature gets haste and hexproof, mm-hmm. and it equips for one. So they're they're so similar, but. If you're playing a Voltron deck, the fact that Lightning Greaves gives Shroud instead of Hexproof can really, really get you. Yes. Like, it, it doesn't matter until it super does. Yeah. You know? So I think there is there is an argument for both as to which one is better. Like, I, Swift but Boots definitely gets, like, the... <clears throat> most people just think it's a worse version of... Yes. ...of uh, Lightning Greaves. And most of the time it is, but I don't know. So I would argue that Lightning Greaves is the better of the two cards. Mm-hmm. However... People severely underestimate Swiftfoot Boots. That, that, that's how that showdown uh, ends, in my opinion. Lightning Greaves is better. Lightning Greaves goes in almost every deck. 
uh, Swiftfoot Boots goes in less decks. Like that, that's just it. It, it, it is better conditionally, but nine times out of ten in any given game of Magic, you would like you to have a Lightning Greaves. That being said, like Swiftfoot Boots is really, really good. Swiftfoot Boots is what Lightning Greaves should have originally been. Yes. It's more balanced. Yes. In, 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 <laughs> by like a huge margin. Yeah. But instead we have our overpowered Lightning Greaves and I'm not giving them up. I no. want my boots. Heck yeah. And it's one of those cards that like is still like $8 or something weird like that. I'm glad that Wizards is starting to reprint it in the uh, Commander Precons. Because before, like all they were printing was Swiftfoot Boots. And they would have it in like every deck. Yeah. The, but now they're starting to do like one or two decks per year have, have Lightning Yeah, the original it. printing uh, all had a Soul Ring and all had Lightning Greaves. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they switched it. And they... Shouldn't have. They should have kept printing lightning greaves. Yeah, and I mean, they are. So it's one of those cards that like they should and could print every year, um, just because it is one of those cards that everyone should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, next card we're going to talk about is Loxodon Warhammer. This is another super super good equipment. Uh, log- originally printed at uncommon. What were they thinking? Lightning greaves was uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the first time up at that. You know. God damn it, wizards! Anyway, Loxton and Warhammer is a three mana artifact with an equip cost of three, and it says equipped creature gets plus three plus zero and has trample and lifelink. I like all those things. Yeah, uh, Loxton and Warhammer is really good. It is. Um, that's it. That's that's all you really have to say <laughs> about it. Like, there's nothing. It's really really good. It gives trample. Uh, the lifelink is a really nice bonus on a. Just because of how much extra power it gives. Yes. I feel like yes. the lifelink wouldn't matter if there, um, Wizards also likes to print a lot of cards where it's like there's a chariot from Theros, there's a cloak from New Innistrad, where they give a bunch of keywords, yep. uh, to something, kind of like build your own Acroma. Yeah, the keyword soup. Keyword soup, uh, equipment. And some of those have lifelink on them, I think. And it's not as effective. Just because what part of what makes this card, the lifelink on this card so good is the fact that it comes with a, a like measurable power boost, like a pretty significant power boost. Yeah. So it, it, this is one of the best, the second best lifelinking equipment, in my opinion. Uh, no, third best. It comes behind Batter Skull and Batter Skull comes behind Basil's uh, Collar. Yep. In my opinion. Rearrange that list as you like. I was going to say, like, G-Take kind of counts. G-Take, yeah, <laughs> kind of counts. Yeah, and this card has been intermittent. It, it has uh, the rare privilege of being one of those magic cards that gets printed at all sorts of rarities where they bump it up and then they bump it back down and then they bump it up and then they bump it back down. But if you really like this card, there's only one version of this card that has alternate art and you owe it to yourself to go out and chase down the Knights versus Dragons alternate art because that is a Warhammer I would be happy to wield. Yeah, it looks amazing. The original art is like, yeah, it's fine, but this... It's an elephant holding a Warhammer. The original art could be a creature and probably was at some point. Sure. Uh, but this art is definitely a glory shot of like a hammer and it clearly has elephant tusks as a component, which is awesome. Yeah. Yep, this card, uh, this card is from this set. Uh, we are going to talk about a one mana red enchantment called Mass Hysteria. All creatures have haste. Simple. Red Concordant Crossroads is yeah. what it is. Which really makes more sense. In makes red. a lot more sense. Only time this has been printed was in Mirrodin. Yeah. I'm sort of surprised. Yeah, I think I've seen this since then, but no, it's from this set. Yeah. I mean, again, like, 
this goes into I think that like that big brawl kind of deck, like the that uh, Kikiji deck where you want everyone to be fighting mm-hmm. sort of thing. Because like, yes, your creature will have haste, but so will everyone else. Like it's a very dangerous thing. But if you're building the deck where you can pillow fort, pillow fort yourself up and it's really just hurting your opponents, then it seems good. It's also good if you have a deck where you're like you really want your commander to have haste. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a definite argument for putting this in Heartless Ida Tsugu or yeah. uh, Krenko. The the other thing is it's really good if you have a cheap commander who likes to attack. So like a uh, deck that comes to mind is Mono Red Grenzo would really like this card because then you turn one massless area turn two you can immediately start hitting you can start goading you can do your whole thing yeah that's actually yeah that that seems like a kind of a perfect deck for this card yeah so it, this is a card that's surprisingly good in a large number of situations much like concordant crossroads uh but people just don't know about it as much uh, yeah or they think that giving all your opponents uh haste is too much of a downside for it to uh, yeah for it to be played I don't I don't know that uh I agree with that, but I don't generally give all my creatures opponent or my, all my opponents haste. Maybe I do that once and then regret it forever. Yeah, you sort of you play where you don't like giving your opponents anything. I give my Which opponents stuff sometimes. Death. Yeah, mostly it's death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the the Monty Python sketch. Cake or death? <laughs> you don't know that? Oh dude, you need more Python in your life. Anyway, continue. So our next card is one that everyone is going to hate you for playing, even though it's not really that bad. You know, this is this is definitely a variation of giving your opponents death. To a degree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, this is Mesmeric Orb. It is a two-mana artifact. It reads, whenever a permanent becomes untapped, that permanent controller puts the top card of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So this is like, this will turbo mill some people out. Especially later in the game when they're untapping ten lands and a couple of creatures, like... This heck, this card. This card does some work, and it's so cheap. You can get it so early, so cheap, but not in terms of buying it because this is—they have never printed a card quite this powerful with this effect yeah. again, or reprinted this card. Ever. And they've never reprinted this card, and it, it's pretty expensive. If I remember correctly, this is like a ten-dollar card at Something least. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, this card is real good in Sidisi Brood Tyrant. Yeah, because Sidisi reads whenever a creature. Whenever one or more creatures are put into your graveyard from your library, make a zombie. So that means that if, say, you get milled for five <laughs> and you get a couple of creatures, you still only get one zombie because that's one one but effect of mill. Each untapping is a separate instance of milling. Exactly. So that means for each creature. Anyway, this this card it's gets out of really hand. Really yeah. powerful. Any kind of mill deck really likes it. Any card that any deck that like is dedicated to mucking about with its graveyard. Really mm-hmm. likes it. Like, just back in the day, Mimeoplasm and Carador, who've kind of fallen out of favor as generals, they played oh, this card I, all I the time. I don't think Carador has. Carador's still real good. I, they're both still really good. Yeah. I just haven't seen either of them for sure. a long okay. time. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying that they're... I'm not saying they're, they've lost any power. I think they're great. They're just... I haven't seen them. Gave, too. Gave yeah. is still, like, the combo king. I just don't see him around anymore. Mm-hmm. So, funny thing about this card... And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that Fenax needs it. I don't think Fenax needs it, but it's. I would play it in Fenax. I think it's still good hmm. enough. Maybe just I for think, the lands, like, just for people untapping the lands. Like I don't. I think this card is better in yeah uh, some in a deck that is abusing your graveyard and your opponent's graveyards, and less in a like straight up mill deck. I I think anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
It's a, it's a good card, for sure. And it's a super powerful It's card. just so cheap. <sighs> so this card. Uh, next card we're going to talk about is Mind's Eye, which... Oh, it wasn't printed out on Common. Would you look at that? Mind's Eye is a card also very well-known to many Commander players. It costs five, and it says whenever an opponent draws a card, you can pay one. If you do, you get to draw a card. Yeah. It's super seen, good. Seen most in red and white decks. Seen most in red, white, green. Sure. Green plays it. I don't think green needs it so much anymore, but yes, there was definitely a time and place for this card in green decks. Yeah, and it's, again, people know this card. You know if this is a card that you can or want to play. It's uh, We're not spilling any secrets here. It, it was originally printed in Mirrodin. It's real good. Don't play the Mirrodin art. Go out and get, like, the Commander's Arsenal art, I think. Uh, I, yeah, get the Commander's Arsenal art. That one's awesome. <laughs> for sure. Uh, the other ones are meh. This one is great. <laughs> yeah. And, like... Yeah, this card is so good in it's it's good in commander because multiplayer. Yeah, because multiplayer. Like basically, if if you spend your turn not casting anything on your turn and just using your mana to draw cards out of this, like mm-hmm. by the time it comes back around to you, you'll will have been able to draw three or four cards like that. That will refill your hand very quickly. It's, it's just it's really really good. It's super good. What it's your I, other favorite card. Why do I have to talk talk about this garbage? <laughs> So, this is Mind Slaver. It's a 6-mana legendary artifact, and it has an ability where you pay 4 generic, tap it, sacrifice it, and you control target player during that player's next turn. So, this card gets gross in, I don't know, a Duretti deck where you can recur it every turn? I don't know why like such a gross idea would even enter your head. You're sick to think of it. So, so Eric made me want this card banned. <laughs> This card, this is one of those, like, we were talking earlier how you can, like, make someone go on tilt. This is a card that will endanger friendships. It is brutal. Magic players don't like, or I don't like when other people take extra turns. Most magic players don't like it when people take extra turns. When you're taking someone else's turn, it's worse. Yeah, it's, it's like, way worse. Not only are you taking an extra turn, but you're taking that turn away from someone else. Yeah, you're robbing them of all the value. At a multiplayer table, they have to wait an entire other turn cycle to go again. Oh, it's rough. And I definitely did it to Nick. Yes. I definitely giggled while I did it. <laughs> it's just the whole thing where, like, I don't like this card or cards like this. And I've complained about cards in this vein before where you invite everybody over to come and play Magic. To have like a good time playing the game together, and then you and prevent then someone from playing exactly. The game. Like yes. it's just it's not. It kind of breaks the social contract in that way. Uh, and I agree, which is why I I don't really play this card anymore. I I have decided that if I rebuild the ready, this card should go in because in theory it's like I'm gonna play this. Do you want to scoop card? But that's kind of why I. Yeah. haven't gotten around to rebuilding Duretti. Yeah, like, plus it's, there's like, there's yes, if you're building the most powerful, like yeah. win the most percentage of times deck, this card goes in. But there's something more to just building a deck that is just built to win. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. But this is, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, it is definitely a card that upsets people. Mm-hmm. Nick has some pretty powerful personal feelings about Mind Slaver and Mind Slaver effects. Whenever you see anything that says take an opponent's turn, come up now, you're I mean, like, oh, so I mean, I think I'm right to be wary of them. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Are you okay with the new Emrakul? Yeah, because, like, you take their turn. I mean, sort of. You take their turn, but then they get another one immediately after. Yeah, that's but a lot. But in theory, you get to burn 
any of the resources they have in their hand. You can like yeah. make terrible you attacks get, into yourself. Like, you still get to mess with them, but it doesn't break the social contract in that same way. Mm-hmm. They get a, they get to play magic. Yeah, and it's a bit harder to recur. Like you still can, but it's a little harder. I yeah. Think. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Next card we're going to talk about is Necrogen Mists. This is a very cool card. Another one that uh, Nick has some experience with. Uh, it's a two-in-one black enchantment at the beginning of each player's upkeep. That player discards a card. Yeah. I play this in my original commander deck. Yeah, the original deck that I, I held your hand in uh, building together. We made Erebos. Yeah. And- <laughs> that was kind of a mean first deck. It, it was just a lot of, like, discarded sack. And... You could definitely see that I had an influence in shaping it. <laughs> sure. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, it is a, it's a nasty, nasty deck for people to go up against. But that was also part of my thing is that I wanted you to have kind of a budget nastier deck because I didn't know who you'd be playing with at the time. Sure. I didn't know if you were going to, like, come out to more, like, downtown, like, social gaming groups. And I wanted you to have a deck that could win where you didn't feel powerless. For sure. So this is... Uh, a card that's really great if you have a general that draws you cards. That's basically it. It's that it, it's a good way if you have a general that draws you cards, you can capitalize on the fact that your opponents are bleeding cards faster than you are. Yeah. Or this goes into like the old Neheb, like the the Rakdos Neheb, where you want where you want to be like yeah, bloodthirst or yeah. Uh, not hellbent, hellbent. Thank you, heckbent. Heckbent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Again, like this card, it's. I mean, it's kind of card advantage. In a way, like if you're making all your opponents discard more than you are. It is. Yeah, Yeah. it definitely is. It's just like that opposite version of card advantage. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So this next equipment is extremely good. Mm. This is Nightmare Lash. It's a four mana equipment. And it reads, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each swamp you control. And the equip cost is only paying three life. I wish we saw more of that. I want to see more cards with alternative uh alternative equip cards costs that aren't crazy to play sure. i want to see like a discard a card or uh i feel like there is there one, there is one yeah, but okay. i want it on like an, more i want it on an equipment like this yeah. yeah uh what's the other equipment that is almost exactly like this uh lash Rife, the yeah. living weapon version of this yep and it has a, an equip cost of uh, Phyrexian, Phyrexian mana. mana. So it's like kind of, it's very similar. Very to much the same thing, a little bit better. Yeah. So but if you're doing OG. Yeah. If you're playing mono black and you want to attack at all, like this card is just great in it. Like it's even if you're good. not playing a Voltron deck, like this card is still going to give your, your quick creature like what, plus 10 late game or something like that, yeah. if not more. Like this card will, will it'll just win you games for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going all in on the Swamps Matter uh, build in your deck, it's super, super good. I mean, if you're playing black, you're playing Urborg, so. Yeah. If uh, I was playing Amiri the Cursed deck for a hot minute that ran this card and it's brutal. And uh, if you're playing any kind of that, like, I'm going to be attacking a lot mono black decks. I guess the newest... The newer deck, Yeheni, right? Uh, Yeheni's a really good uh, new version of that. Yeah, I played this in Yeheni, too. Or um, there's also uh, the other vampire that gives all the creatures plus plus one, plus one counters. First Strike Flying Vampire out of the new Zendikar block. Oh, um, Drena. The new Drena, Drena, yeah, new Drena. New Drena or... Or old Draina, sure. both also love this card. Yeah, if uh, if you're playing any of those kinds of decks, you owe it to yourself to run Nightmare Lash. Yep, and the other one. 
And yeah, Lash Ride. Yeah, like if you're playing one, you're going to probably want to play the other. Yes, and if you're only going to play one, you're probably going to play Lash Ride. But Nightmare Lash is good. Play it. Very. Yeah. This uh, set was the first time we saw a printing of Oblivion Stone. Mm-hmm. You, you can really tell how powerful a set is when so many of its cards become commander staples. For sure. That's crazy. Oblivion Stone, which is a card that's still super expensive, uh, costs three to play. Uh, and it has two different abilities. It's an artifact. Uh, you can pay for and tap it to put a fate counter on target permanent. It's not the only source of fate counters, but there's not that many in the game. No, there's um, like Triad of the Fates. I yeah, think and there's a, as well. I think there's like one or two more. And then it has another ability that's far more relevant. You can pay five, tap, and sack it. Destroy each non-land permanent without a fate counter on it. Then remove all fate counters from all permanents. Hmm. I mean, like. <laughs> Most of the time when I've seen this card, nobody activates that first ability at all. No. You you only activate that first ability if a turn cycle goes around, you had the mana open to blow it up, and you don't feel like blowing up the world yet. Sure. And then you're like, okay, well, well I'm going to stash this permanent. But you do also have to kind of worry because then, like, if you tap it to put a fake counter or something, then Someone your shields are down. That's the, that is the, that is the fear. Yeah. But it's a wrath, a very effective wrath. Wrath's everything. For theoretically only five mana if you're paying it for three and then waiting, but it could be eight. Yeah, It's uh, sort of like a weird different Nero's disc. It is very much Nero's disc. The thing that makes Oblivion Stone better than Nero's disc to a lot of people's mind is that you can never or almost never activate Nero's disc when it comes out because it enters the battlefield mm-hmm. tapped. If you have eight mana, you can just O-Stone immediately. It's a wrath when you need it. For sure. Uh, and it's uh, recurrable, which is super, super good. The advantage with Nero's disc is that if you have, again, going back to that Doretti deck I had, if you have a way to make Nero's disc indestructible, you don't have to sacrifice Nero's disc. Yeah, that's something that a lot of people, I think, don't understand, is that, like, Nero's disc does not say anything about sacrificing on activation. No, it, it just, just is... blows up everything, including itself, but... So if your artifacts have indestructible, you could, you know, pay one mana to blow up the world every turn. Which is, like... Yeah, that'll win you a game. <laughs> it definitely did win me the game. <laughs> yep. Hey, uh, speaking of winning the game. Yeah! This next card is Platinum Angel. I think most people know about this. This card is so stupid! <laughs> it's kind of dorky. It's So it's a 7-mana 4-4 uh, four, four angel artifact creature with flying, and it reads, you can't lose the game, and your opponents can't win the game. It's a card that is entirely... Its value is entirely based on the wow factor in that sentence. Hmm. If you are someone who is not crazy experienced in playing magic, that sentence sounds broken. Yes. You're like, well, wait, then my opponents can just never win. Yeah. Right? Like, like, you just don't think that. Like, oh, I'm just, I'll just kill it. When this set first came out, I definitely had friends... And I probably felt this way too, that this card was just amazing mm-hmm. because we didn't really fully understand the concept of removal and using all of it. Yes. Uh, now that you understand that, it's like, uh, it's seven mana for a four, four flyer. It's going to die. Someone's going to kill that thing. And then it doesn't matter. That being said, it's still very cool. Um, a lot of people put it in their Kalia decks just because of how awesome it is. Yeah. Um, I, I do like this card a lot because it lets you play Phage. Yep, <laughs> which it's I think to, is pretty great. One of the only ways to play Phage the Untouchable, which is awesome. It also has been it's because it's so wow, Magic has released it over and over and over again just to try and like kind of get people to Well, it's to one of those fall big in love with it again. It's that, yeah. yeah, you don't need to explain it to a new player. 
you can show this to a new player and they immediately understand why they should love this card. So our next card up is Promise of Power. It costs black, 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 and two generic for a sorcery, and it is a choose one. So you draw five cards and lose five life, or you create an XX black demon creature token with flying, where X is the number of cards in your hand, and it has Entwine 4. So this is when we were talking about Entwine and how we like how they, the two modes go together so well. Uh, this is a card that we talked about. So if you do both modes, they also resolve in top-down order. So you draw the five mm. cards, lose the five life, and then you create the... the uh, Demon, which is now at least a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, this, this card's good. And it, it's like drawing five cards and losing five life was probably like a, a big risk in, in standard and, and limited and that sort of stuff. But in commander, like that is exactly what we, what we want. Yes. Those big effects. Yeah. This card is amazing. I think it's great. I also uh, was thinking about it, and in terms of flavor, I was thinking about how well there's some things, there's not a lot of things that Wizards consecutively nails really well from a flavor standpoint, but they almost always, whenever they have like a dark bargain card or a deal with the devil kind of card, it's almost always on point. Mm -hmm. And this is a really good example of that. Yeah. yeah. What's that um, demonic pact? The one from Magic Origins where it has like the different modes and you have to choose one every time. Yeah. And, and have then, to lose the game and then on it. Lose the game yeah, is like, the last one, the enchantment. So flavorful, yeah. yeah, that one's really good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this set is super weird. Okay. So this card is another one of those cards that I had to read several times just to confirm that my eyes weren't lying to me. Um it's called Proteus Staff. It's a three man artifact. It's a blue flavored card because it has an activated ability with a blue mana symbol in it. It's two and an island to and tap it. Put target creature on the bottom of its owner's library. That creature's controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a creature card. That player puts that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of his or her library in any order. Activate this ability only time you could ca- any time you could cast a sor- sorcery. It is essentially a polymorph staff. Yeah. Polymorph except the creature doesn't die. It goes back into the owner's library. That's really cool. It's really cool. It's really powerful. I played it in Joyra. It was gross. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know the really gross thing you do with this card? Sure. So you play this in Narset. You have no creatures in your library. You activate it on Narset. You rearrange your library in any order you want. Oh, and then you win the game. that's horrific. Yeah, that's mean. Yeah, we, we had a friend who did that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A friend of a friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to say I'm friends with any, <laughs> anyone who would do that. Yes, uh, Proteus Staff is really, really gross. It can, it's, it, you can use it on your opponent's creatures in the same way you would use like a Chaos Warp or a Polymorph. But you will almost always be using it on yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have a deck that plays big blue stuff in any way, it's, Super busted and powerful. Yes, I know. I see you. I see you thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Why aren't Why aren't you putting that in your Giraffe deck? Yeah. It's like if ever I like whiff and make a tiny zombie, I can just turn that into a giant thing. Yeah. Wow. I'm done. Anyway, this card is like I want to say it's fun and interesting, but really the people who are doing the the best things with it, it's just mean and broken. Yeah. It's another card that could have been fun if it wasn't so broken. Also, the art is crazy on it. It's yeah. a staff of hands. Yep. The artists on this set were on point. <laughs> uh, so our next card up is Psychogenic Probe. It is a two-mana artifact, and it reads, Whenever a spell or ability causes a player to shuffle his or her library, Psychogenic Probe deals two damage to him or her. Yep. 
yeah, do you play against people who tutor and fetch a lot? Like someone sitting next to me? <laughs> I have fetch lands and tutors. I play them. Yep. Yeah. This would make my Gitrog monster deck cry, weep giant salty tears. Yeah, it would, it would be a feels bad. And I, I'd sort of offhandedly mentioned when we brought this card up, um, when we were figuring out the cards for the set, and I'm like, oh, it's only going to do like 10 or 12. And you're like, yeah, for two mana. <laughs> for two mana. 10 or 12 to each opponent. Rough. Yeah. Uh, again, like this is a card where it, it's... Its usefulness is going to depend on your meta. Yes, 100%. If you're in a... And there are people who play, uh, like, Stranglehold EDH. There's people who play, you can't search your library, uh, and you can't take extra turns. Which I think is really unfair to green decks, personally. I, oh, I sure. Yeah, I would yeah. never... Like, cutting off green decks from ramping doesn't seem right to me. But if you're playing something like that, obviously this doesn't work. If you're playing with kind of a gentleman's agreement where people don't search a lot, this doesn't work. But if you're just playing a Punisher deck, this is miserable. Yeah. Uh, back when... Do you still have Zozu together? Yeah. yeah. This would be amazing in a Zozu deck. Just yeah. more damage on top of people. Yeah, it's good. And again, a card that almost no one knows exists. Yeah, and it's, again, so cheap. Two mana. Yeah, we keep talking about some really good, really cheap artifacts in the set, which, like, again, I mean, it goes without saying, but they're artifacts that can go into any deck, so yeah. definitely stuff to watch out for. So our next card up is Quicksilver Fountain. It is a three-mana artifact, and it reads, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player puts a flood counter on target non-island land he or she controls of his or her choice. That land is an island for as long as it has a flood counter on it, and at the beginning of each end step, if all lands on the battlefield are islands, remove all flood counters from them. This card. Yeah, this card's Heck brilliant. this card. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, you're just going to shut down your opponents and again, stop them from playing the game of magic. Yeah, very winter orb style card. Not fun. Uh, obviously, if you're playing in a, if you're one of those play groups where everyone's playing blue, then this <laughs> doesn't do anything, really yeah. do anything. But if you were playing against people who uh, don't play blue, like myself, this is uh, this is a nightmare. Yeah. The funny thing, too, is that like even when all lands are islands, you remove all the counters, but Quicksilver Fountain doesn't go away, so it is just going to start over again. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yep. That's rude. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> again, you're, you're going to know the person or deck that you're playing to know if you're going to want to play that card. Yep. And much like this, uh, much like uh, Quicksilver Fountain, this card is not going to make you any friends. Next card is Rule of Law. It is uh, a card that I'm sure some people are surprised to hear was originally printed in Mirrodin. It's two into white for an enchantment. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. Mm -hmm. This slows games down a lot. You played this card, I believe. Okay, so I played this card <laughs> in my Afara God of the Police deck because it has the word law in it. <laughs> yes. So you played this card for fun and flavor. Mm-hmm. And you did not realize when you played it the power it had. Because I remember as you played it, I looked at you and I was like, I'm going to kill you. And you were like, it's a what? And then it like did like two turn cycles. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, play a signet pass, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Uh, it, it, this card has a way of really chugging down the game. Yeah. Which is like not inherently bad but it kind, of, bad. it kind of is though it's a strategy like people who are playing like the slow down control thing like if you're playing grand arbiter you're almost certainly playing something like this yeah or like the all instance deck yeah so uh, that, like you can always cast off on everyone else's turn like yeah. super controly decks they like to slow this down yeah if you're playing the all counter spell deck making sure your opponents only have one spell to counter each turn is a big deal mm -hmm. yeah it's crazy powerful and so cheap 
Yeah. Three. If it was more expensive, you wouldn't play this card. For exactly. five mana, you wouldn't play this card. For three, it's amazing. Yeah, it's an effect that is only available in a couple places, but you do you can have some backups for it. Mm-hmm. Next card, uh, speaking of cheap good cards, uh, this next card is Scrabbling Claws, one of the better uh, graveyard hate cards that people haven't heard of. Scrabbling cards, Claws costs one. It has tap, target player exiles a card from his or her library. They get to pick the card. Uh, or pay one, sacrifice scrabbling cards to exile target card from a graveyard. Draw a card. Very good because of the draw card clause and the fact that it does not affect your library. Yeah. Really good in Glissa. Anything that can recur it, anything like that. But also just good generic graveyard hate. I know a lot of guys who this is their go-to uh, graveyard hate artifact. Between... Yeah, it's like this and, Re- and Relic of Progenitus. Yeah, they, if, they, if, you want, if the choice is between this and Relic of Progenitus, your decision is based on how much you use your own graveyard. Sure. The other thing is that unlike Relic of Progenitus, this is recurrable. Yeah, I was, was going to say, Relic exiles itself, right? Relic exiles end. itself, so if you can, if you're playing Glissa, if you're playing uh, with Sun Titans, if you're playing with anything that can really recur and get value out of your artifacts, and the fact that you're going to be drawing cards over and over again, you play this card instead. Yeah. Also, like it is so cheap that if you can get it down early, the fact that your opponents get to choose what card exiles like doesn't really matter. Not as much anyway. Like if you can like just control the graveyards from an early stage of the game, it's quite good. Super powerful card. Uh, speaking of super <laughs> powerful, this next card is Sculpting Steel. It is a three-mana artifact, and it reads, You may have Sculpting Steel enter the battlefield as a copy of any artifact on the battlefield. So it's these copy effects, like Martin and I talked about it in uh, Ravnica, that copy enchantment is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Because in a format where it's singleton and you can only have one of each card, being able to double up on weird effects is a really, really strong ability. And being able to double up on any kind of artifact mm-hmm. is huge. You can copy in a creature, you can copy an equipment, you can copy a mana rock. Like this is the the possibilities are limitless. And uh it's cheap. It yeah. costs three. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really, really good. If you are playing an artifact focused deck, it's really, really good. If you aren't, it's just good. Because you, <laughs> your opponents will have artifacts that you can steal. And you're going to have artifacts that you want to double up on. Whether you're playing intentionally or not. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a powerful, powerful card. Yeah. It's one of those cards that for a long time. Before the proliferation of cards designed for EDH. And a lot of stronger cards. This was something that I saw in almost every EDH deck. To the point that I almost never play it. Because I got sick of it before I even got a chance to play with it. That's fair. What's the, there's, um, Masterwork of Ingenuity. Is that the, the one mana one that enters the battlefield as a copy of any equipment? Yes. Yeah. So that's like, even that, even though it is more restrictive, it is still good because, just because it is so cheap. Yeah. And because uh, but it's sculpting so steel. Expensive. Yeah. The fact that sculpting steel can hit, like, yeah, you were saying, like, mana rock, like, somebody has a gilded lotus or a thran dynamo. Like, yeah. It's or a good. creature. If some worm coil engine. Mm-hmm. Copying a solemn simulacrum with a sculpting steel feels really good. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Next card is awesome, uh, and not played that often, and it's called Scythe of the Wretched. It's a two mana equipment, but it's, Cost four to equip, so it's a little bit more reasonable than some of the other ones we've seen. Mm-hmm. It gives the equipped creature plus two, plus two. But what's really awesome is the next clause. Whenever a creature dealt damage by equipped creature, this turn dies. Return that card to the battlefield under your control. Attach Scythe of the Wretched to that creature. So if you have a commander who fights, like Tangarth. Mm-hmm. I, I had this card in my Tangarth deck. You did. Uh, or a commander with Death Touch, like Glissa, who we keep uh, mentioning again and again for good reason. Uh, this 
is a card that gets very busted very quickly. Yeah, that's great. Like it, it's, you know, yeah, you're stealing creatures. Like, yep. what more do you want? You're killing creatures. You're stealing creatures. Your creature gets a straight up power boost as well. It's not just that effect. You actually get more power out of it. And your creature doesn't even need to survive the fight. Nope. Right? Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Nim Deathmantle and all the like combos and craziness you can do with that. This is the card that Nim Deathmantle ripped off. Sure. Okay. Kind of. This is Nim Death Mantle was the new Mirrodin version of this, where this steals your opponent's creatures. Nim Death Mantle allows you to save your own. Right. And I think that even though Nim Death Mantle has played a lot more, Scythe of the Wretched should get some attention because it's really good in a lot of decks and people just forget about it. Interesting. Oh, geez. So this next card is actually part of a cycle. Um, this is Seat of the Synod. It's simply an artifact land. That you can tap to add a blue tree mana pool. So there's one of these for every color. We just wanted to bring them up because like they are super important. Super powerful banned in so many formats. The only reason they're not banned in EDH is because you can only play one of each. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the um, only thing stopping it. Yeah, we talked about at the start of the episode about affinity for artifacts and how strong these artifacts that are also lands are with that. That's the main reason why. Uh, they're banned, right? Is because well, in in modern anyway, is because, That's because affinity, yeah, because is, already affinity so is already so powerful, and uh, you don't need anything that boosts it. But uh, in EDH, you get a little bit more weirdness with them, a little bit more corner case scenarios, stuff like uh, trading posts can sacrifice artifacts to draw a card, lets you turn your land to uh, lets you tap the land and the trading post and just turn it into a card. The or stuff like Trash for Treasure. Trash for Treasure, Goblin Re- Welder, Duretti, all of those utilize artifacts to do stuff. It's a way for you to use stuff like Trinket Mage as kind of a ramp spell in a worst case scenario. Or not ramp, but a fixing spell yeah. or in a worst case yeah, scenario. Yeah, there's that Tezzeret that you minus him for X and he goes into search of the library for You him. can minus zero and get Seed of the Synod. Yeah. Uh, or any of the artifact lands. So it's got a lot of really useful applications in that way. It is worth noting that in EDH, they are not all upside mm-hmm. because there's so many global effects that will destroy, say they destroy artifacts. Like a the, Bane of Progress. Bane of Progress, uh, Vandal Blast, a lot of Wraths. A lot of the White Wraths that destroy things. Like a Chroma's Vengeance. Uh, sort of a Chroma's Vengeance specifically says it destroys artifacts. Mm-hmm. So if you have something that doesn't say destroys all non-land permanents, if it lists permanents, Artifacts usually end up on that list, and then it blows them up. So that is something to keep in mind if you're going to be playing these, is that they will be incidentally blown up more often than you might count on. Yeah, and that's why I probably wouldn't run them unless I am doing something with artifacts, like something funky exactly. with artifacts. Exactly. Unless, unless you know the reason it's in your deck, it probably shouldn't be in your deck. Exactly. That being said, if you're playing a lot of Goblin Welder, if you're playing a lot of effects like that, next card is a card... That I once built a modern deck around. It's called Second Sunrise. <laughs> uh, Second Sunrise is one and two white for an instant. Each player returns to the battlefield. All artifact, creature, enchantment, and land cards in his or her graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. So, this is a good card. People understand that. Uh, people know it from the eggs deck in modern. Once upon a time, when modern was still a relatively new fo- format, I heard about the eggs deck. And I made it for myself. The reason I made it was because Modern was so underplayed in Ottawa that I wanted a deck that I could literally play solitaire with. That I could literally fiddle about with on my own to get used to and get almost as much fun as if I was able to find a Modern player to play with. Because there was 
so few of them and it was so rare. And then Avacyn Restored, I think it was, or some some set came out and released a stupid card called Faith's Reward, which suddenly made... A second second sunrise. A second second sunrise. And some jerk took my deck and went to a tournament and just owned with it. Mm-hmm. And so they banned all the cards that made second sunrise function. <laughs> And I and I lost the ability to play my deck, and it made me very sad. Uh, and it was just such like, a, but they banned it for good reason yeah. because it was an unfun solitaire deck, which is the entire reason I built it because I needed something to play solitaire with. Yeah. That being said, this card is applicable in EDH. It's Absolutely. a good, yeah. real yeah. good way to save, reset the battlefield if someone rasts and you didn't want them to do it. It's a little group huggy, but it's also a three mana instant. It's super cheap. Yeah, this yeah. I don't think people were, well, maybe it's just our play group. I don't think people are often expect second sunrise. Like, when no. people wrath the board, they're like, all right, good. Like, every set, I have some breather room, and you can just be like, no, no, actually. Maybe not. The other thing it's really good for is if you are in a deck that likes to sacrifice your permanence, do some shenanigans, you can sack all your creatures. You can sack, if you're someone who can sack a lot of permanents that aren't creatures, you're going to get a huge amount of benefit out of this card. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's only been printed in Mirrodin as well. Yeah. The the, the other card you mentioned... Uh, face Reward, I think. Is yeah, Face Reward. It does like pretty much the same thing as this card, right? Uh, I think Except Face maybe Reward... maybe it only affects you? Yeah, Face Reward costs one more and only affects you. So if you're like at rest, you might want to play Face Reward unless that having that one less mana... Is going to make a big difference to you. So it wasn't in uh, in Australia. It was in M11 or M15. Is that right? M13. M13. I'm sorry. I couldn't read that symbol. Yeah. Uh, and it's returned to the... It's only you. You pay one more mana in exchange. It only affects you. It also specifically says all permanent. Mm-hmm. So this one will hit Planeswalkers. Yeah. yeah. Which is Ralvin. Or can be. Mm-hmm. So our next card up is another weird one. This is Shared Fate. It is blue for generic for an enchantment. It reads, if a player would draw a card, that player exiles the top card of one of his or her opponent's libraries face down instead, and each player may look at and play cards he or she exiled with shared fate. I wish this card cost more than five. This card seems like one of those really expensive chaos cards, and it costs five. I feel like this is too cheap. Like you expect it to cost like seven or eight or something like that? Yeah, expect it to cost like at least six. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's weird. It's not... It's it depends. <laughs> what do I say about this card? Like you build your decks with the cards you want to play. Yeah. So relying on your opponent's cards to play the game is sort of not intuitive. But maybe if that's like the game you want to be playing, oh, it's yeah, like sure. play all your opponent's stuff. T- tell me, tell me how how much it's not helpful to play your opponent's stuff, Gaunty. <laughs> I just like that more than it's actually good. Uh, no, it's good. <laughs> okay. The the other thing is that taking your opponent's stuff. Tends to mess with your opponents. Yeah, they don't we like keep it. Talking about tilt. Yeah, we don't. We, we people don't like it when you're taking their cards and playing them against them. Mm-hmm. And if you have friends who are operating perhaps at a from a better collection or budget point of view than you, playing cards like this is a really good way to you kind of close that gap. Yeah, yeah, taking their really expensive toys and playing with it yourself. That being said, maybe don't play these kinds of. If you're someone who goes to a lot of like. FNM style EDH games like EDH tournaments with strangers and stuff like that. Maybe don't build that deck. 
People don't want you mucking about with their cards. Yeah, some rando just grabbing at all their yeah, cards. Yeah, yeah. Don't, like, with your Cheeto-stained fingers, <laughs> you monster. Don't take people's cards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this next card is, uh, it's a little card people probably haven't heard of. It's called Solemn Simulacrum, originally printed in Mirrodin, which some people might not know, uh, with the OG Sad Robot Art. Yep. It is uh, four mana for a 2-2, two, two, uh, and it has, when Solemn, it's an artifact creature golem. And uh, when Solemn Simulacrum enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, put that card onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. When Solemn Simulacrum dies, you may draw a card. These are all good things. This card is the golden standard for value. This is the yardstick for uh, which every other card is measured in terms of getting value. Yeah. It's colorless. Yeah. It's, you can play it everywhere. And it's, the, it's the thing that, like helps non-green decks kind of catch up a little bit yes it is super good i it is a, one of the cards that belongs in like the soul ring lightning greaves category where if you're not putting it in your deck you have to have a reason to not put it in your deck like there's you you have to have like all my cards are pretty cheap so that ramp doesn't help me i'm in one color i don't need color fixing I'm not really fiddling about with artifacts. Like, I mean, you need good, compelling arguments for not playing this card. A legitimate reason is I only have one or two because this card is not cheap. It is not cheap. And it's also just kind of hard to find. Yeah, because it, it, well, that's because uh, it's not a card that's hard to find because they don't reprint it because they've reprinted it a dozen times. But people hold on to their copies of Sad Robot. Yeah, and like you were saying, it goes into pretty much every deck. Exactly. That's It's not a card that people give away. Yeah, and like as we've been talking about in this set with um, recurring artifacts and things like that, the more times you can recur this, this card, the, the better, better it gets. Yeah, because it, it does cantrip and ramp. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. It never stops being awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, so next card up is Soul Foundry. It's a four-mana artifact. Again, it has imprint. We keep talking about how good these imprint cards are. They're so good! <laughs> so when Soul Foundry enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your hand, and then you can pay X and tap it, and create a token that's a copy of the exiled cards. X is the converted mana cost of that card. So you can just continuously make copies of whatever creature was in your hand. Yep. Like, we don't need to tell you how broken this is. Yep. <laughs> do you want an Avengers Zendikar every turn? Eh, yeah. Do you want a Solemn Simulacrum every I, turn? We just talked yes, about it. Yes, I do. Yes, I would love a Solemn Simulacrum every turn. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's really, really, really good. Don't put a legendary creature on it. Uh, outside of that, you're fine. I mean, put Kakusha on it if you want. <laughs> no, don't put Kakusha on it. You're a bad man. <laughs> or like Sidisi, uh, Mono Black Yeah, Mono Black Sidisi. Okay, maybe there's some legends you can put on it. But yeah, no, it's like, it's just, it's a really good card. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of McVat in a way. Just the fact that you're able to create it, it is. a creature. This, this is probably the precursor to Mimic Vat in many ways. Yeah. Mimic Vat's just a little bit cheaper, but it's a creature that has to die. can also take your opponent's creatures. Mimic Vat is probably a little better. Yeah. And it does act as like pseudo graveyard hate almost mm-hmm. for a creature a turn anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Soul Foundry is very good. Actually, more people should play this. I don't know why I haven't ever played that card. It's like just one of those generically good cards. Yes. Uh, next card we're going to talk about is the first in a cycle that if we end up doing every set from this block, we will uh, eventually finish. Uh, and it is the Sword of Kaldra. The Sword of Kaldra is a four mana uh, equipment. It costs four to equip. Uh, legendary artifact, uh, which is worth noting. You can only have one of it. You can't copy it. And uh, equipped creature gets plus five, plus five. 
Whenever equipped creature deals combat deals damage to a creature, you exile that creature. The thing that is best about the Sword of Caldra is not written on the Sword of Caldra, and that is because if you have all three pieces of Caldra or the equipment, you also have the shield and you also have the helm. You famously assemble Voltron mm-hmm. and you make a Caldra token. O- OG Voltron. OG Voltron. And the Caldra token is like up there with the Merit Lage token in terms of how ridiculously good it and is. And it also gets all the equipments attached to it, right? So it's like indestructible. Immediately gets all the equipment. It, it exiles any creature. It deals damage to. It gets plus five, plus five. Uh, it gets all the stuff that Helm of Caldra gives it, which is like a bunch of keywords. Yeah, it's one of those keyword soups. It's a, yeah, it's probably like, I think it might actually be one of the original keyword soup equipments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, Sword of Caldra is good. I was, uh, I will say that Sword of Caldra is kind of, uh, a sticking point for me, uh, because I was talking all, all that, all that good heck about how I was, had all top tier equipment mm-hmm. and I've never owned any of the pieces of Caldra. Oh, I opened one of them back in the day, mm-hmm. but it's gone to history. I have never, it, it's been one of those things where I've always thought that, like, if I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get all four, three pieces at once and I've never felt compelled to do it now that i'm playing a white voltron deck with a bunch of equipment tutors i now would be the time yeah decide to do it but they're they are like i feel like some of them are expensive so man we'll see yeah so our next card up is going to be sylvan scrying uncommon yep uh it's a green and a generic for a sorcery it reads search your library for a land card reveal it and put into your hand then shuffle your library so all you golgari decks you can go find your cabal coffers Mm-hmm. Or if you're playing green anything, you can go find whatever land you need at the time. It's so good. It is so good. Uh, and it's one of those card- amazing cards that's only going to get better because the lands are going to continue there what? to get printed that they're are gonna really keep, good. They're going to keep printing lands. Hmm. They're going to keep printing crazy ability lands. Yep. Uh, they will not get more powerful because you cannot get much more powerful than stuff like... Uh, Gaius Cradle and Cabal Coffers. Cabal Coffers and all that. But they will be very powerful. Yeah. And Do you know what's actually speaking of lands, small aside? Last time I was at Wizard's Tower, I went and Uh-oh. bought six Throne of the High City, I think is what it's called. The one that like you become the monarch. Oh, okay. I'm just putting that in every deck. I like the monarch mechanic a lot. Monarch is a really cool mechanic. I like it a lot too. I don't own a Throne of the High City. Uh I probably should start playing it it's pay four right yeah like it is expensive for what it is but i just like the 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 monarch mechanic and what it does to games so much that it makes it makes the game different in a very positive way Mm -hmm. monarch is once again like conspiracy i cannot say enough good things about the both of the conspiracy sets and monarch they really conspiracy 2 found a way to really positively follow up the success of conspiracy 1 absolutely anyway so with sylvan scrying you can go find that land yes you <laughs> to can tie it all back together. like we don't really need to explain why this card is so good it's dumb good if you're playing green and you have anything resembling uh good utility mana base you need to be playing this card for sure next card is tajnar swordsmith or as we call it og budget uh stoneforge mystic absolutely yep uh, he is expensive for what he does, but he's good. He's three and a white for a two, three, uh, cat soldier. When Tajnar Swordsmith enters the battlefield, you may pay X. If you do, search your library for an equipment card with converted mana cost, X or less, and put that card onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. He's, he's a good card. He's not the best equipment tutor. He's one of the worst equipment tutors, probably, but he's still a good equipment tutor. Yeah. And he is 
I mean, he, he's entered the battlefield, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. like, if you're playing some sort of flicker... Or reanimate, you can do that. Um, but, like, he's just, like, it's it's a good card. And it does dump it right onto the battlefield. Yeah, it, it's good. You're paying for it to enter directly into the battlefield. It's obviously better in the late game. But even in the early game, you're going to have something you can fetch with this. If you're one of those cheeky guys who plays some zero mana equipment, you can grab that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do or even exist. just five mana get this and Skull Clamp. Yeah, five mana gets this and Skull Clamp. Six mana gets this in Lightning Greaves mm-hmm. or uh, any other uh, Umizawa's Jite. Like, you don't have to put a lot of mana into this to get a very good card out of your deck. Uh, Basilisk Caller. Five mana gets this in Basilisk Caller. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, worth playing. Again, it's another one of those cards where we keep saying this, but you know. You know whether when you're or not building the deck, whether you want it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, our next card up is Tangle Root. It is a three mana artifact, and it reads whenever a player casts a creature spell. That player adds green to his or her mana pool. One green to I've his or her mana pool. I've never seen this card before. Yep. It exists. It's okay. It's like, like an it's, elf ball kind of a it's card. It's kind of an elf ball uh, kind of a card. It's really worth noting now on account of the uh, Life Crafters bestiary. bestiary. Oh, yeah, because this would pay for that. Because yeah. this pays to draw a card. It does really good synergy with that. It's yep. only when you're playing the creature spells. Yeah, which is good and bad. It means if your creature does get countered, you still get the mana. But it doesn't... Uh, you can't generate mana off of making tokens. Which is fair. Fair, <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, there is... If you're playing like an elf ball style deck, if you're playing something that's like green weenies, uh, you can do some pretty silly shenanigans with this. Yeah, that's. I'm just surprised I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's pretty solid. Thirst for Knowledge is our next card. Uh, it's not really anything special except that it's a real, it's a good draw spell. Uh, it's two and a blue for, uh, an instant. You draw three cards and then discard two cards unless you discard an artifact card. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, there's not much we can say about it except that it's a very solid blue spell. You will usually discard an artifact. If not, then you're looting. Uh, essentially two cards, but still drawing another one, it gets you deep into your deck, and it's instant speed is the big thing. Yeah, that's the thing that got me. When I first, like, I read this card, read the mana cost, read what it did, I'm like, oh, that's, like, not great, right? And then I saw that it was instant, and then it so all makes sense. What okay. happens is people hold up counter mana. If they don't feel like countering anything, you end one opponent's turn by going three cards deeper in your deck. It's a good card. Yeah, especially, and, like, if you're playing a blue-black deck where you want stuff in your graveyard anyway, then mm-hmm. even better. Absolutely. Oh man, so this card, <laughs> this is a weird card. Yes. So this card is called Thought Prison. It is a five mana artifact and it has imprint as well. So when Thought Prison enters the battlefield, you may have target player reveal his or her hand. If you do, choose a non-land card from it and exile that card. And whenever a player casts a spell that shares a color or converted mana cost with the exiled card, Thought Prison deals two damage to that player. So I, ori- Yikes. I originally put this card again in my afar deck as a joke card because it says prison on it so it went right in there mm-hmm. however this card really impressed me every time i play it yes. like you okay so you get the exile card from someone's hand period it mm-hmm. does not come back even if thought prison goes away that card's gone mm-hmm. which in itself is good if you can grab something that's multiple colors and it's, and again like we talked about um with Chalice of the Void, those like mana costs that are really common, like three, four, five. If you can get something like that in like three colors, this thing will deal a lot of damage. Yes. In a perfect world in that uh, Ifara deck, you'd be grabbing like a Jund card from mm. your opponent because then you're hitting all the colors sure. that aren't you. The- and that costs like 
probably somewhere around three to five. Yeah, the best time I I played this card, uh, I got a um, Xenagos God. Oh, okay, a five mana Gruel card. Exactly. So it did not affect me at all. And like, so many cards cost five. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> this thing ended up dealing probably somewhere in the range of twenty to thirty damage in the game, which is like that's great. That's all taken. Super powerful. Yeah. No, it's uh, and not only that, but also got rid of that Fennec. Got like yeah, uh, Zenigos. Yeah. 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 Got. Yeah. No, that's. Super good. I have not, I have not really played with this card. I hadn't really heard of this card. It's uncommon again. I mean, it is, it is weird. It is. God, this set is so weird. Like, we aren't just saying that to be funny. All right. So our next card is a pretty infamous one that will win you the game. Yep. It, it is called Tooth and Nail, which is, we actually have a, a microbrewery in Ottawa close to me called Tooth and Nail. That you're drinking and a beer I'm from. And I'm actually drinking a beer right from now. It right now. Look at this. Uh, so Tooth and Nail. It is green, green, five generic for a sorcery, and it's a choose one. Search your library for up to two creature cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, and then shuffle your library. Or put up to two target creature cards, or not target, put up to two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield, and it has entwined two. So for nine mana, you get to tutor out two creatures and put them on the battlefield. If those creatures are Zelda's Conscripts and Kiki-Jiki, and you beat someone called Nick with that multiple times... Then that's who you are. <laughs> <laughs> we're playing all of your. Fa- we're talking about all your favorite cards yeah, in this set. Apparently, I just don't like Mirrodin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> screw this play. And I'm glad Phyrexia took it. Um, but yes, so two card combos are a thing. Yes, and those, in almost every color. Yeah, at and, this point, and they involve creatures. So, like again, this is a nine mana. If you want, win the game. If you want, if you have the cards available, if you're able to do it, win the game. Yep. And there's uh, and it's famous for that is one of the most commonly played green wind conditions mm-hmm. uh it's like right up there with like genesis wave this gets played more than genesis wave i think a little bit uh because genesis wave can whiff tooth the nail do- doesn't really even if you lose your combo pieces if you pass this for nine i'm gonna get some giant cards and yeah, it's like go face. get the big beefiest things you can yeah i'm gonna get something with that gives haste yeah go, um, go get avengers zendikar and crater hoof yep and like that's like this card is known for doing that it is kind of a boring card in that way i think that there i mean obviously i play this card uh i don't know if i don't think it's in my get rog deck right now it might be it might not be i don't know um but it i obviously think there's a place for these cards where it's like all right, I'm going to try and resolve this and win the game. Just like I, even though I don't really build combo decks that often, I usually have one or two infinite combos in any given deck I build. Just because, uh, quite you, frankly, you want to win. No, it's not even that. It's uh, I, as my playing of Isamaru and Perforo shows. I like games to end at a certain point. There, there is a certain. We will reach a uh, a threshold in game time for me that I'm just like, okay, I'm ready for this game to be over and to start an, a fresh game with a new hand. Sure, where you're like, I don't even care if I win in this I, point, just like, like I just want this game to be over. Yeah. And I have realized that my my threshold for that is lower than a lot of people's. So I want ways to attempt to end the game in my deck. Sure. So having cards like this is a mechanism for me to do that, to just be like, look, if you can answer it, fine, the game keeps going, but I would like to try and end the game right now. So yeah, and Tooth and Nail is, again, a pretty unfair way to do that. It's definitely up there as one of the better, like, in terms of just value, I'm trying to win the game. It's one of the better cards in EDH. Yeah, so many people, like, if they talk about 
commander, like to the nail, Comes is up just in that lot. conversation. It's just it's pretty much a green staple of the format because of it combines the power of cheating out cards with the power of and the power of combos with the power of tutors. Mm-hmm. And tutors are unusually good in EDH because it's a singleton format. Yep. Also, the entwine cost is so cheap that like. You're never really going to cast this card without the Entwine. Like, you could, I guess, but it's only two mana more. Like, that's the only reason you cast the, the only reason you cast it without its Entwine is that you have some really high value cards in your hand already. Or you already have your combo pieces in hand. Well, those would count as high value (laughs) cards. But yeah, if you just have some really good stuff in your hand already and you want to like cheat two creatures out for the price of one, you can do that. But, uh, yeah, no, it's like everyone knows it's a good card. Uh, it is a card that you can make and by playing like it's a, it's a card that could piss people off certainly not to the point not to the level of stuff like mind slaver no but it, it would cause some eye rolls yeah it's, it, that's exactly what i was gonna say in the same it way can cause eye rolls in the same way that taking infinite turns can i was gonna say or cyclonic rift at this point so yeah a hundred percent they're definitely definitely in the same uh tooth and nail and cyclonic rift are in the same grouping of cards for a lot of people not so much our play group i think but for a lot of people insurrection Oh, sure. Is in that same category. Uh, some people feel that way about Living Death. Huh. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's like, it's a spell that tends to be like, do I win the game? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, next card is uh, Goblin Welder, but on a spell. It's uh, Trash for Treasure. Two and one red for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast Trash for Treasure, sacrifice an artifact. And then return target artifact from your graveyard to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing that to ready deck or yeah. any of those red artifact decks, this goes perfectly. In yeah, there. it's it's good. It is the least good of those effects. Because it is, again, we're playing EDH. We want recurrable mm-hmm. uh, uses of things. This is a one-time. The other thing uh, that makes this less good than the other ones is the fact that the uh, sacking the artifact is an additional cost. Sure. So if it gets countered. If it gets countered, you whiff and you lose an artifact. So that's not super fun. Also, um, if you go to target something in your graveyard and somebody uh, can exile a single card, you still lose. then it whiffs and you still lose the artifact. Uh, that's right. Uh, Dreddy is probably the second best. Goblin Welder is really good because it can target your opponent's stuff too. Yeah, which people don't notice often, but it, it, it when it matters, it really matters. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, no, that's a really great uh, win condition combo piece. But that Nim Death Mantle is now, you know, Wayfarer's Bobble. Yeah. Um, also, the uh, flavor text on this is really good. Yes. Goblins generally have two possessions, one per hand. <laughs> it's like two little, you know, got the screwdriver, got this cup. <laughs> yeah, super good. Yeah, I love, I love Goblin cards. I love Goblin tinkering cards. I love this. Is this is a fun card? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't play it that often. Uh, I think I've played it once or twice, but it's not, doesn't come up all the time. For sure. Oh, geez. So this next card is another combo piece for most of the time anyway. Yes. This is one that I don't think I have ever played against you. This is one that, uh, I don't, I don't tend to play with that much. No. Uh, this is Triskelion. It is a six mana, uh, one, one artifact creature construct. And it reads, Triskelion enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. And you can remove a plus one plus one counter from Triskelion and have it deal one damage to target creature or player. Yep. And everyone knows this card because it combos with Micaeus. Yep. And that's it. Uh, be careful when you're doing the Micaeus combo. If someone makes you explain the combo, you can screw yourself. Yep. I have ha- I Oh, I have had people. I, I, I watched a, a glorious moment where uh someone who's like 
uh, like a real attention to detail kind of uh, kind of guy was playing against someone, and he the person just put down Macias Triskelion. And they're like, okay, I win the game, and he's like, okay, walk me through it. So I, if I want to like interrupt or interact at some point, I can do it. And it's one of those things where people know that it combos. But not everyone realizes quite the nuance of pulling off the combo. And the nuance is you have to spend two of those three counters shooting Triskelion. Because Triskelion gets plus one, plus one from Machaeus. Yeah. So if you forget to do that like this guy did, he's like, his combo just vaporized. That led to a pretty hard tilting. <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's yeah. what you get for trying to go infinite. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if you if you feel like being the guy who plays Triskelion and Machaeus, uh, you should do the homework of actually knowing how the combo resolves. I mean, yeah, if you have infinite combos in your act, like know how they work. Yeah, but this is uh, but know it like in the particulars, not just the abstract. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying like it's it's a Google search away. You can do it. It's yes, fine. you should absolutely do it. That being said. Uh, it's kind of upsetting that Triskelion's, I think, on its own is kind of a cool card. Uh, and it's kind of upsetting that it is now only known for and will forever be the infinite combo. Yeah. I think it's like the newer version of that is Walking Ballista, right? Yeah, I guess. It does a very similar thing, very but it has X in its mana cost. It's like, so it's they, a little cheaper. They're yeah. definitely shades of each other. Yeah. In a way. Uh, I don't think Walking Ballista would work with Machaeus, though. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no. No, because it doesn't enter the battlefield for one cast. I just mean like in function, they're kind of the same. Like you're they're saying very how similar, it, yeah. if Triskelion worked a combo piece, yes. it would be walking ballistic. Y- yes, exactly. Uh and yeah, I it, I feel like there's not many cards that get that kind of effect where Triskelion has suffered it. And I liked the card before it became the infinite combo piece. And now I'm kind of like I mean, I liked it but I didn't love it, so now it's just like a card I feel meh on. Yeah. I will say I have used Walking Ballista as a combo piece in Rakdos, though. Yes, because Rakdos can make it very yeah, cheap. Yeah, and then you use all this counters to shoot someone, and then you bring it back, and then they've lost that much more life. So you, anyway, it's it's a big thing. It's a big that thing. That deck's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I love that deck. Uh, Videlkin Archmage is our next card. How do people not play this card all the time? Yeah, wow. Uh, this is a card that both me and, or I'm sorry, both Nick and I, uh, paused on and were just like, wait, what? Uh, it's a two and two blue Videlkin Wizard. It's a zero two. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, you draw a card. Yeah, hey, it's blue. (laughs) Guys, there's a blue card. That has the words, whenever you cast an artifact spell, draw a card written on it. How is not every blue deck playing this? This is insane. I mean, you have to be playing that blue artifact deck, and maybe in those decks everyone does play it, and we just don't know because we don't play those decks. I have played against those decks pretty often. I have never seen this card. I think people just forgot this card existed. <laughs> like, straight up, I think people forgot it. Yeah. I've played against so many Sharoom decks, I couldn't tell you, and I've never seen this card played. Maybe they saw that it mentions Knowledge Pool in the flavor text, and they're like, ugh, no. Yeah, yeah maybe. Maybe that's it. Maybe four is just too much for such an amazing freaking effect. I am I'm shocked and appalled and a little embarrassed that I didn't know this card existed. Yeah. I think maybe it's because like you play red so much and you have to work so hard for card draw. 
in blue gets something like this and people just don't don't even acknowledge it you're like oh you guys don't know what you have <laughs> that's exactly what's going on right now that's easy that's the what's happening in my head yeah hmm. i play black i have to pay life for my cards god damn it yeah also kev walker tribal uh, so our next card up is Viridian Joiner. It is green, two generic for a 1-2 elf druid. And you can tap it and add an amount of uh, green mana to your mana pool equal to Viridian Joiner's power. I did not know this card existed. Yeah, right. it's good. It's like, I was telling Eric, it's kind of like a bad Gyre Sage. Yeah. Almost because Gyre Sage has the same sort of effect, but also has Evolve. Yes. Um, but if you are playing a deck that can put one-on-one counters on something, like, especially the new Azuri. Yeah, even just an elf deck. Like, an elf ball deck. Like, elves have a lot of lords that increase power. This guy could easily be tapping for, like, three or four. Yeah, at that point, like, that's great. I want mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little odd that we haven't seen it before. It also seems like if you're playing some kind of green Voltron deck or something like that, this guy could be pretty good. But again, mm-hmm. he does largely get replaced, I suppose, by that uh, the plus one plus one. Gyre Sage. Gyre Sage. Yeah. Next card is uh... <laughs> this is a funny card. This is Volshock Battlemaster. Uh, Volshock Battlemaster is four and one red for a human warrior. He's a two-two. He, he has haste. And when Volshock Battlemaster enters the battlefield, attach all equipment on the battlefield to it. Control of the equipment doesn't change. Mm-hmm. This is a weird card. So if you get lifelink, then you gain the life. But if you have an equipment that says whenever a creature deals damage, you gain that much life, then they the get controller life. gets yeah. the life. If you hit with Umizawa's Jite, the person who controls the equipment still gets the Yeah, counters. you can't do anything with the counters on the Jite. Sword triggers go to... You can hit the person who owns the sword with the sword... And they get the triggers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a weird card. Weird. Yeah. There's this, um. This leads to some of the weirdest rules conversations I've ever had. Yeah. Do you know what's really weird? Uh-oh. Uh You know Captain's Claws? Yes. So when the creature we'll so when the creature attacks, so what happens? The creature attacks. Yeah. And then the person who controls Captain's Claws makes the one-one ally onto the tapped battlefield, and attacking, tapped and attacking. But it can't be tapped and attacking because it's not their turn, so it just enters the battlefield under their control. Tapped. I think. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Otherwise, it would be hilarious because you'd be making the blocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's like> this, <laughs> um, now, last year there was an artifact creature they printed that has the same effect. Yeah, three but it, mana. It's also whenever it attacks, it yes. attacks or. Attach all equipment um, to it. It's also you may. Ah, okay. So uh, you may. I think it's you may attach any number of equipment to it. Hmm. Um. So you can. You. I. I know that. I'm pretty sure you can target your opponent's uh, equipment in the same way, but you don't have to. Okay. Volshock Battlemaster is attach all equipment on the battlefield to it. Like you're taking your lumps with that. Mm-hmm. Uh. Volshock Battlemaster has the advantage of being an instant hit. He can surprise people. With yeah, because that. it does have haste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, this is a card like unless you're abusing the equipment you have and like you know cheating their their mm-hmm. equip costs, then your meta is going to have to be really equipment heavy to like really justify yes. putting this in your deck. If you don't run a lot of equipment, if you're not playing some kind of red Voltron deck or like Goto Bandit Warlord or something like that, don't play this card. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's it. 
All right, we made it to the end. This we, is this was a long one. This was a long one, but we made it through the song to the <laughs> last card. And what a card to end on. Oh, yes. So this card is World Slayer, which is just potentially one of the best names in Magic. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so World Slayer is a five-mana equipment. It equips for five, and it reads, Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy all permanents other than World Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> What a goofy card. Remember when we were talking about cards that will make you enemies? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is one of those cards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's kind of a basic looking sword, too. Like, it's plunged into the That's earth. That's kind of the best part, right? Yeah, it's it like so like generic looking. It's like, it, it's one of those things where, like, you can imagine that whatever fantasy story that involves the World Slayer, that magic has, whatever the lore is behind the World Slayer, it's a comedy. Like, some guy is just walking around and he's just like, it's like the story of this legendary sword that people pick it up and they don't know what they have and then they like get into a fight with it and they just poke a guy and suddenly just. Yeah, and just nothing exists anymore. <laughs> and just wipes everything from existence. Yeah. Very good in a deck where your commander has indestructible. Yes, it's pretty inf- infamously uh, run in Zergo Helm Smasher. Uh, Avacyn, Archangel sure. of Hope as well. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah, yep. all your permanents are indestructible. Sure. It's very scary in that deck. It also kind of comes with that second sunrise that was in the set. Mm-hmm. Or no, do, can yes. you carry over mana? Yes. Between steps and phases? Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. between steps and phases. Oh, but, but that you, brings everyone else's back, right? But it would bring everyone else's back. All right. You need uh, phase reward. There we go. Yeah. We, bring we back got there. all the stuff that you uh, that you destroyed. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a card that gets played a lot in decks that have indestructible things. Yeah. That's basically it. I mean, if you're running this card just to like watch the world burn, then you're kind of a bad person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, if you, if this is one of those things, it's like blowing up everyone's lands. It with is with so, no plan afterwards. It, yeah, it is socially acceptable for me to blow up everyone's land if you're in a position to immediately win the game. If you are blowing up the world just because it looks like you're gonna lose, just because like you watched Dark Knight and you thought Joker was cool. Yeah, we're gonna take you into the bathroom and give you a swirly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yep. Uh, so, we have reached the end of Mirrodin. Yes, we did it. How do you feel about it? Tired, but good. Um, yeah, it was, it's a, it's a lot stranger than I thought. Like, I thought it was just going to be a straightforward, because, like, everyone knows Mirrodin is powerful. Yes. And I thought it was going to be full of just, like, staples and just powerful strong cards, which, I mean, it is. It's full of really powerful cards, but a lot of those really powerful cards are really weird. Yes. Which, like, suits Commander so well, where, like, yes. we take these strange cards that only have, like, like Crook's Thumb, where it has, like, one really specific use, and we can build something around it. Yes. I like that a lot. Mirrodin is a really neat set that way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very, very weird set that I really, really like. Uh, for the weirdness, I don't like the artifact theme as much. I'm not into artifact theme sets as much as a, a lot of other people seem to be, but I really like all the weird things and all the effects that we see in Mirrodin that we never see again. Yes. Like all the things that were kind of like weird failed experiments or corner, like it, it feels like its own little corner of magic, much like an unset or something like that. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that so many of your arch enemy cards were in this set. Yeah, it's neither did full I. of cards you hated. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like confusion in the ranks. Yep. Tooth and nail. Yep. Got mind slaver. Yep. Yeah, like this is not into it. Those are like probably if you made a top five list of your least favorite cards in EDH. I feel like 
All all three of those appear in that list. It would be those, and then that. Uh, what's that land that two regenerate creatures that I always forget about? Oh yeah, yeah, the Maya Hollow. <laughs> I don't even. I just. I'm just bad at remembering it's there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, probably I don't know Cyclonic Rift. Do you hate Cyclonic I Rift do. too? Yeah. 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 Oh, Sarah Ascendant probably appears somewhere on that list. I've never fought against it enough to really hate it. Like I, okay. I acknowledge that it's kind of broken. Yes, but you also. Don't... So Sarah Ascendant game reprinted. How do you feel about that? It's game reprinted. Yeah, Iconic Masters. I mean, I feel like they're reprinting Sarah's Ascendant. I mean, the art looks pretty. Is it a new art? Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't feel. I mean, I play Sarah Ascendant for the same reason I play Tooth and Nail. It's like, yeah, if it exists, I'll play it. But I'm not. If they banned it tomorrow, I'd be like, yeah, eh, yeah okay. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. So we did it. We did it. Another one in the bank. Yeah. I, this one was a three-pointer. Basketball. I play the basket sports ball. Yeah, I, I sports the ball. I sports the ball all the time. Yeah. I, I get the goals and the points. We're talking about court hockey, right? Court hockey? Because <laughs> we're Canadian. Everything's hockey. <laughs> throw, the, throw the puck into the net, god yeah. damn it. Yeah. All right. So let's do let's do the thing. Let's time to make the donuts. If you need to reach Eric and I, you can at snowcoveredlands at gmail.com mm-hmm. at SCL Podcast One on Twitter or on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash snowcoveredlands. Facebook's probably the best way. I don't keep like I check Twitter as much as I can, but honestly, email or Facebook is, is the best it's way to do it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can check, you can find our show notes in our RSS feed at mtgcast.com and pretty much our home site, I would say, commandersociety.com. You can also find us on iTunes by simply searching Snow Covered Lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks again to our good friend Michael Landry for use of our theme song. Did you forget his last name for a second? No, I'm just being awkward. I don't know why. <laughs> so you can find uh, that song along with everything else he does at soundcloud.com slash ZZZ, lethargy with an IE at the end. If you like uh, kind of experimental electro and stuff like that, then you'd be doing yourself a favor by checking it Yeah, out. it's pretty chill stuff. I actually just listen to it a lot just on my own. Yeah, like he's actually, like it's not just one of those things where we're plugging him because he's a friend who did a favor for us. We asked him because he's good at the music. Yes, yes. He's absolutely. good at the music sports ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's hockey but with a keyboard right yeah, right yeah <laughs> i hate everything about this <laughs> check the speaker go check the speaker he did a what's the thing called when they get three goals in a game hat trick hat trick there we go yeah that's our canadian reference <laughs> that's we're really tapping out our sports knowledge no tapping because uh, uh, magic has magic get it all right we're gonna go eat a coffee crisp yeah. We're Canadian and enjoy our all dressed chips. Americans don't have coffee crisp. No. Whoa! Yeah. Americans don't have coffee crisp? Have fun not having the best chocolate bar in the world. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Alright, we need to go and not record or talk anymore. Yes, we need to do that. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Brave the snow, friends. It's like 30 degrees here. This is a bad <laughs> outro. A bad for... <laughs> outro. Brave the non-existence. Just go, go find some snow to brave, folks. Yeah, just go melt into a bubble. Have fun. See ya. <laughs>